What's up, everybody? Big Luke here, man of the free, the man of the free studio, the place to be. We are here today with the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Candy Cars himself, Rob Seneca. Hello. Hi, Rob. Thank you very much for joining us today. Um, as our audience knows, Rob, the people that we bring into the Man of the Free Studios are people that I believe will add value to their life. That's kind of a broad statement, right? So there, there's many different facets of a human being that can be beneficial as far as their experiences and, and what they can give to somebody else. You and I met, um, well, that's when we first start the show, that's what we usually do. We'll get right into that. So do you, do you remember how you and I met? Well, we had to rehearse that. Sometimes this is easy. Sometimes this is hard. So Rob met at an auction. <laughs> met at an auction. Yep. And uh, yeah, I met at an auction. Uh, we, you know, I forgot. Obviously, we 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 meet so many people. We're yep. in touch with so many people. But um, obviously, I remember when I first met you. Obviously, it's your size, right? Big guy. And uh, you know, trying to rewind the tape on my way here, I was just kind of thinking back about when I did first meet you. And just, you know, I'm pretty in touch with my thoughts. So, you know, I, I think my first impression of you was probably unapproachable. <laughs> big guy, right? The big yeah. jock from high school. Yeah, buddy. They don't want to give me the time of day, yeah. right? We go back. To, we go back. We always. Our mind always goes back there, right? Sure. Right. So, and then, uh, you know, we did hit it off. And, you know, you, know, you and I have remained in touch. I don't remain in touch with many other dealers around locally. But uh, you know, I was always kind of impressed by you know, your understanding of what's going on in our industry and you, you got a, you got a pretty, pretty good grasp on that. So it's, it's nice to be able to you know, go back and forth with somebody who can kind of stay on your level and, and you, get it. You, there's about, I wish my memory was better. My short term memory was better than it is because there's about three or four things there that you said that were, were avenues that we could go down topic wise. One of them was unapproachable. Mm -hmm. we, we've had several podcasts recently, shows, podcasts, whatever we're going to call this, an online show, an experience. Um, one being Rita West, pro bodybuilder, huge woman, just a massive presence. Uh, another Wyatt Lozano, you know, Wyatt, um, local guy, Mr. Syracuse, strong man. Um, and, the conversation or one of the conversations that we had was that we're really some of the most tender, lovable, compassionate people in the world, very kind and also very self-conscious, you know, very timid, you know, inside. Um, and the first impression that people get when they meet us is, you know, unapproachable, monstrous, scary, you know, and, and uh, unapproachable being the, the operative word there. So um, what it's, it's funny that you said that because Rob's letting the cat out of the bag a little bit. Um, us content creators, we're not always uh, miracle workers. So last night when Rob and I were discussing, um, or was it earlier today, we were discussing today. yeah, the, the kind of the pregame, so to speak, um, getting acquainted with what we we're going to do today. I said, okay, we usually start with, you know, how we met one another. And, and Rob was quiet for a minute. He's like, uh, do you remember how we met each other? And I said, no, do you? And he said, no. And then eventually we determined it was the auction. So, um, and that's, that's another thing that you spoke on. We, you know, we meet a lot of people. We got so much going on. That's something that I experience um, in this latter part of my life when I've had some success and I've been involved in business. Just the, the sheer volume of people that, that come across my lap. Um, well, that probably wouldn't be the right words to use there, come across my lap, but come, come across my, my desk or my life, the people that I meet. Um, it, it almost humbles me, and I almost feel bad sometimes, and I wonder if you experience the same thing. Do you, have, do you ever feel bad when you see somebody, you know you know the face, you know you recognize the person, you know you're acquainted with them in some way, shape, or form, and they look at you and they go, hey, Rob, how are you, man? Good to see you. And you're like, hey, guy, you know, good to I, see I you. Can't, I can't roll. I just I tell on myself every time. Do you? Like, listen, I just I can't place you. I'm just, you know. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, you know, it's, no, I, I try, you know, I'm just I'm pretty 
just honest. Let's put it out there. No, so, I don't. I'm I'm good with a face. I'll, I'll never forget your face. Yeah. But when it comes to a name, um, you know me. It's tell me the car. You right. Tell me, tell me the you t- you tell me the scenario. I'll tell mm-hmm. you the car you bought. The mileage was on. I can remember all that. Yep. You're trading. How much you That's owed? It. Who was there with you playing negotiator and Uncle Bill the mechanic? It's selective memory. So 100%. you know I do that, but uh, yeah, I, I deal with a lot of people. You you see them staring at me because they they know they know me from somewhere. Right. They can't put their finger on it. Yeah. So I get a ton of that. You know. So, so let's talk about that. Um, you know, I would say, I would, I would easily, you know, say local celebrity. Um, you know, you've created that persona for yourself. And, and as you kind of move your way out and, and you expand in the marketplace, you're becoming a recognizable figure. Is that a welcome thing for you? Has that been a, a fun thing to, to have go on? Or has it been a difficult thing to deal with? Or are there different parts of that? At first, it's kind of, it had its newness, right? Mm-hmm. We're on TV, people are recognizing you, and it's still... It's still nice, and I still I, I still enjoy it to a degree. Okay, um, you know, but that newness wears off. You know, one of the things I remember Charlie Caprera, big, probably the biggest influence in my life. Okay, the biggest. Um, you know, I, I worked for that guy for a lot of years. I watched every move that man made, and he was very open with me, and he took me under his wing, and uh, you know, shared behind the scenes stuff with me a lot. You know, one of the things I remember a conversation with him and his wife, and we're standing there, and he's like, "Listen, when I go to the mall." He goes, when I go places, he goes, people recognize me. He goes, you don't think there's times that I don't want to say hello to anybody? I'm, I'm human. He goes, but their initial thought is people are looking for that. Yeah, that guy's an asshole. Yep. They're looking for that. Mm-hmm. So you got to go out of your way to, to listen, I, and I do. You know, it's, it's one of those things, fake it till you make it. Yeah. You know, at first it's like, oh, thanks for recognizing, but, you know, no matter what's going on. And it's kind of, for me, I, I, just, I, I just, I feel an appreciation for people. When people recognize me like that, or say, listen, I love your show. Um, I don't know, man. I appreciate that. I go out of my way to kind of thank them and thank them for watching me and being a fan and all that good stuff because it's, I don't know. I just, I don't know. I've, you know, over the last few years, my appreciation for, for those things, you know, you realize how valuable those things really are. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's no, I do. I do appreciate it. And I, I do enjoy it still. It doesn't go to my head. Right. You know, I'm past all that. Right. I don't think it ever really did, but, you know, keep in mind, and we talked about this before, but, you know, behind the scenes, I remember my sister having a conversation with me, and she goes, you know, I feel sorry for you. I'm like, why? She goes, because I know the person you are on TV is not who you are in real life. <laughs> you know, you're not that guy. She's, you know, and that's true. Okay. And only until the last few years, I've been doing commercials for nine years, mm-hmm. and only until the last couple of years have I really developed, and we can get into that too, and I'm sure you will, but, you know, have I really de- developed that, inner confidence okay and real confidence not based on who i am how many cars i sell how recognizable i am Mm -hmm. but truly feeling whole okay and you know i don't know where i'm going with that but it's uh i wasn't always you know the the person that people would see on television and things like that you know that's that's who i am today but it's not who i always was Understandable. The same, you know, the same goes for me. I, I don't have the relevance that you do yet, um, but I can, I can liken situations that I've had thus far that I could see how that, how could, how that could be. So, um, you, you said that your sister felt sorry for you because she knows that the person that you are on TV and who you really are are two different people. What do you, what do you think she meant by that? I know you touched on the fact that there, that uh, I'm assuming that the TV persona is a confident boisterous, loud, forthcoming, attention-grabbing car dealer. Yep. Um, so is it that 
that in your personal life you're a little bit more reserved, a little bit more um, timid, or is it that is there truly two different people? Meaning, I would say today, but okay. there definitely was for most of my life. I was, uh, you know, keep in mind, rewind the tape. You know, I'm the guy in tenth grade high school that walked into the lunchroom with uh, with my tray, and you know, all throughout you know my life, I'd skip went school to school to school. My parents either divorcing, um, getting back together you know, moving us out of that school district to get in, get us into a better one, whatever that may be. It landed me in, in a different school every year of my life up until I got to middle school. Literally every Truly, year of your every life? every single year. Wow. Okay, so it was literally not a miss and not one year missed and until I got to middle school. So, you know, I was always that new kid and, uh, you know, 10th grade comes around and, you know, we were in Liverpool High School and uh, we had, were in the annex for ninth grade and 10th grade we're in, we're in the real high school. First day of lunch, I walk in, got my tray. I'm a little bit late. You know, I'm one of the last people. I look around, and I'm looking at that group of people over there, and I'm like, I can't sit at that table and get, you know, I can't, I can't be one of those kids. And then I look over at the popular kids, you know, you know, you know those kind. Mm-hmm. Um, long story short, I look over there, and I'm like, the last thing I want to do is walk up to that table and say, hey, the seat's taken. Right. I've been there, too. Right. And uh, I dump my lunch in the trash can, walk to the guidance office, gave him some bullshit story about uh, you know, I had to work after whatever it was. I never walked back in the lunchroom again. You know, I sat in the guidance office. I was petrified to walk in that lunchroom because I just never really fit in. Okay. You know, so didn't, didn't want to get labeled. Right. You know, wasn't cool enough to sit over there. So that, I think, was the core of me coming up. And, uh, you know, even, even while I was selling cars, you know, before I owned dealerships, same thing. You, you put me in. Put me in the dealership on the showroom floor. The most confident person you ever saw. Because you're. It's my turf. Right. That's where I, I'm comfortable. Um, that's where my confidence was built. Was on a showroom floor, and you know. But take me out of there. I'm very quiet. You know. I was the guy that I, I don't really like to. You know. I don't like to be in the limelight. I don't like the attention. And everyone else can take all the credit. That's kind of me at my core. Now, was that intrinsic or was that a learned behavior? Was there anything that went on with your parents or aunts, uncles, people in your life that you saw somebody that had experienced either success or, you know, had, had been in, uh, in trouble or had had the spotlight on them somehow? You saw it, said, I don't want to be there? Or was it just a Rob thing that you were just kind of a loner, didn't really want to be associated with anybody, and you just kind of walked your own path? Fear of rejection. It's really what it boils down to. And that's why um, you're here in the studio, Rob, not to interrupt you, but it's important that we explain to our audience, or it's important for me that my audience understands who I bring in the studio and why. And you're here because, you know, we haven't been in this studio for five, ten minutes yet, and you're already letting us very deep into some pieces of your life that most people hold very close to their chest and don't want to let people in on. But I explained something to you before we did this show, and that was that I'm here to bring value to people. I'm here to speak directly to them and bring them reality, mm-hmm. and, and that's why you're here. So I, I want to stop, let you know that I appreciate, you know, just that you're, that you're opening up and you're letting us in because these are the things that help people understand what lies underneath success, okay? These are also the things that help people understand what lies underneath downturn, right? Um, I understand that your life wasn't always an easy one. Um, you know, there, there's... We have a lot in common in that our, we are, our our homes were a little broken growing up. You know, we didn't exactly have the Leave It to Beaver uh, movie, uh, TV show, studio, you know, upbringing. Um, we didn't have exactly stellar role models. I certainly didn't. Um, I think we both latched on to some strong male um, influences as we moved our way up through. 
you know, there was uh, Roland Burke for me. There was Rich Lester from Z-Bart. These were successful gentlemen that I saw had a strong hold on their home life, strong hold on their finances, and were moving their way up the ladder of success at a breakneck pace. And I tended to align myself with them. I, t- you know, I found myself emulating their behaviors. I started in the car business as a guy that wore, you know, a, a button-up shirt like my dad with a with a um, you know, what was that brand of pen? Arrow pen or what, what the heck was it? An arrow? No, an arrow. The pen. It was an actual pen. Arrow. Yeah. yeah. Arrow pen. You have an arrow pen in my shirt. You know, um, I had Savannah dress pants with pleated fronts and, and cuffed cuffed bottoms. West and Genesee. 100%. I was, yeah. I was my father's son. And as time went on, you know, and, and in no disrespect to my father, but he was not a tenacious individual. You know, this was a guy that thought that a good upper management job, 70 to 80 grand a year with benefits, just flying enough under the radar where if the shit hit the fan, it wasn't going to get on you, was life made, right? Um, and I just... I was not that guy. I was never that guy. I was always the guy that did everything to the extreme. I was always the guy that wanted to be the captain of the football team. I wanted to bang the captain of the cheerleading squad. I wanted to do the first line of Coke. I wanted to drink the first beer. I wanted to just be the pioneer of all things insane, right? Um, so as I aligned myself with these people, you know, Roland Burke is, is known for uh, wearing a uh, kind of like a chainmail look peak polo uh, opened up with the chest hair shown in the gold chain, like probably nine out of 10 desk managers you've ever sure. met in your life in the, in the franchise car dealership. So when I got my management job, you know, the next thing it was, it, we went from pleated front to flat fronts, cuff to no cuff, you know, same type of polos with the chest open. I wore a silver chain to differentiate myself instead of the gold chain. You know, that's <laughs> how corny it was, yeah. you know, then, you know, the evolution proceeds from there. Um, so, You mentioned Charlie Caprera for our audience. The the audience is national. So Charlie is, uh, I would say, uh, and I don't think I'm overstepping, a local legend of the car business. I think, uh, would you agree? 100%. Okay. This is a guy that kind of created a, um, a business model. You know, most guys start their dealership, they gain their success, they take on additional franchises. If the opportunity arises, they have their dealership group, they pass it on to their kids, they move on. I don't know uh, as much as many about the the Charlie Caprera legacy, but I believe it goes something like you know he built up a few stores, um, made them very successful both on paper and in real life, and then sold it kind of as a package, right? Mm-hmm. Something like that is a very it's an important story for me, and I'll explain to you why. Coming from where I come from, I didn't have a rich uncle to teach me about great success. I didn't have mentors in the, you know, the one horse town of 80 kids in my graduating class that that I went to. So as my life goes on, I try to find, you know, I try to understand things that quite frankly, just seem out of reach to me. For instance, in the car business, I I would buy vehicles from the auction and, you know, I'd be getting what, what I would end up with, with the echelon of car that I would sell is I would end up with, you know, what Charlie or one of those guys sold brand new couple years old you know lease turn in becomes a late model used car that a guy like you is selling then it meets owner number two or three and it becomes the car that i'm selling right five to eight to ten years old anywhere from you know 55 to 155,000 miles on it and for a while i was coming across all these ford f-150s all these dodge rams all these chevy silverados every goddamn one of these trucks i'd open them up to scan the vin and there was a maple leaf on the inside of the door all these canadian built trucks and i couldn't understand why there was such a massive influx of Canadian built vehicles that I was buying. But one thing I started to notice is as I pulled the Carfax on these cars, I was looking through the maintenance history just to get a quick grasp of am I buying a well-maintained car or not. And if I went up far enough, I would see these were, you know, these were Canadian 
built vehicles. And then if I would scroll down, I would see, you know, the last dealer to sell would be FX Caprera, you know, Caprera Chevy, Caprera Ford. So obviously powers of deduction, I realized, okay, these, all these Canadian built vehicles are coming from Capreras, which led me to the thought of, you know, what a genius, because I, I then asked a couple people and it was, you know, somewhat common knowledge at that point that Charlie Caprera was buying Canadian vehicles in bulk to take advantage of the exchange rate at the border, stage them. They had to wait, I guess, a particular period of time before they could bring them through customs and then sell them, retail them and make a killing. And he was making just incredible grosses, you know, twelve, thirteen, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 selling a new vehicle. These are the stories I was told. I don't know how you know accurate they are. You could shed some light on that. But um, he was making grosses that were well above par for the industry on these vehicles. So I, and then I, I thought to myself, and I'm the kind of guy that breaks things like that down, right? Like I, I envy that, right? You know, who was smart? Where did he come up with that? How did he think? Did he just one day sit in bed and go, oh, you know what? I think I'm going to find another country that neighbors are, you know, our country to buy from stage the vehicles in customs, because by the time they get over, I'll, I'll get a monetary benefit from the exchange rate. And I just thought to myself, it's such a far-fetched idea for somebody to come up with that. But now hearing this story, it's a very validating thing for me because it helps me bring the wires together, right? And understand how it gets from point A all the way to where we are today. So hearing what you just said, thank you. <laughs> that that helped me uh, make sense of, of something that I wondered for years, but it makes perfect sense. And it also furthers a point that I try to bring to my audience, right? And that is that every grandiose idea Every major benefit, every for all intents and purposes, every, especially when it comes to business, anything that you've seen or come across that has been revolutionary or game-changing by way of a procedure or, or something that's been built or done, there's always a backstory, right? There's no, there's no miracles in business, and I, I truly believe that, right? Uh, there's always, if you, if you go back and you kind of move up the timeline and you go back in chronology and you finally get to the very beginning stages of, of where that bloomed from, so he's like, oh, okay, so that's how that happened. Um, and that's when I come across those situations, they help me be more motivated to move forward because I realize as I continue to gain that knowledge that it's not, you, you don't really have to be anybody special. You know, you don't have to have Mensa genius capabilities. You don't have to be born into wealth. You don't have to have graduated from MIT. You just have to get the right information, right? Knowledge is power. Your network is power. Let me, that's a good question. I'd like to ask you that question because it's something that I've been asked a few times and I'm, I kind of believe the jury's still out on. I lean towards one more than the other, but I'd like your input. Do you think that your knowledge is more powerful or your network is more powerful? Knowledge, of course, being the things that you know and you've learned and your network being the it's people the you network. have access to. It's got to be the network. This is where I get my knowledge from. You know, yeah. I don't... Uh, one of the things I think is my biggest strengths is the fact that I sponge everything from every, anybody. I take the... I take... You know, I have a good network of people that I deal with, but I have a lot of people that, you know... I lean on them and they lean on me. You know, I'm a reader. I read a lot of stuff. Um, I got a pretty good instinct. So, um, you know, it's a back and forth thing. It's, you know, very important. I'm very humble like that. I don't, I don't want to know everything. If I know everything and I'm the strongest guy in the room, I need to find a different room. Right. You know, so I definitely lean on my network for, you know, just their barometer. For example, right now we're going through in the car industry. Mm. You know, we're dealing, we're, we're, we're headed in some tough times if we're not already there. Yeah. And you know, there, there's, there's moments when I freeze, you know, I go through, I go in and out of things quite a bit, you know, I'll, I'll all of a sudden I want to buy 200 cars. Then I'll, you know, I can read one thing on Facebook 
that just derails me. And all of a sudden I'm in this direction. And then I'm on the phone with three different people. I'm getting their take. They kind of settle me back down. So yep. it's my network. We talk about a network and, and talk about moments where you really, where you really understand the value of the people around you. For me, for example, it was COVID. Two situations. Uh, when COVID happened, I had my one store at 2020. I was getting, just getting ready to open up candy cars. I had my Bridgeland Auto Broker store. Um, place sells about 150 cars a month, like clockwork, well oiled machine, doing its thing. All of a sudden, I see our governor on TV cutting the workforce down to 75%. Then it goes to 50%. Then it was 25%. We knew it was going to happen like that. He was incrementally bring, breaking us down. Yep. But I had to ask people to go home. And all of a sudden, I had technicians that wanted hazard pay. I mean, everybody went off the rocker. And for me to try to keep the team glued together at that point was extremely difficult. Everybody, you know, we get a sniffle, we're out, we got COVID. Yep. You know, well, I can't operate. And I get that. And I got to be, you know, I got to be sensitive to that. I got to yep. take, take that. But by the same token, you know, I had to get on the phone. Let's go. I had to set COVID tests up. I had to do all that stuff to kind of force the hand. At, otherwise, we go home, we sit there for three days, and all of a sudden we got, now I got to go get a COVID test. So it was a lot of those things. So, so it was for me, I was, I was breaking down a little bit. And I had, I stopped buying cars. Maybe my timelines are getting screwed up, but it's a period of time there when the market went through the roof. We didn't expect it to. And I remember like 17 and 18 Chevy Silverados were doing 32, 34 grand. Those are $23,000 trucks. And they were up almost 10 grand. I'm online trying to buy cars and I couldn't buy, couldn't justify buying. And I have my buyer DJ and he works out of Florida from his home and he buys all day for us. And he's like, Rob, you got to buy cars, man. You're getting low. You got a team, man. You got to feed your team. And I'm like, buddy, I, I can't. I, okay, I'll get on today and do it. Get on. I can't buy a single car. <laughs> and, you know, these guys are kind of gun shy because they don't want to make the wrong decisions, you know, and have me come down on them. You're talking about your buyers? Yeah. Okay. And long story short, I, I was freezing. My, my inventory was dwindling to nothing. And they just started buying cars, regardless of what I said. And I see on the logs, I see cars are getting bought. And I did one of these. I just, just didn't want to look at it. I knew I had to buy cars, and long story short, it we had our most profitable years after that. But what happened was is I allowed them to continue to buy the cars, and what we had a nice base of cars so that once we realized that, oh, okay, this, this, this retail is going crazy, yep. we already we are already ahead of the eight ball, you know, two, three hundred cars deeper than we could have been if it was at my own hand. Yep. And if I didn't have that buyer at that time to make that decision and do that, where would I be, right. you know? I'd probably still be in business, but how would that have effect, how would that snowball have affected me? Hundred percent. When when would I have unfrozen? Yep. I needed that employee to make that move because I was incapable of doing it myself. You know, strong and you know I own dealerships and all that, but I froze. Right. Take uh, Jim Finnegan, my general manager at the time. Same thing. We get down. To, uh, governor's cutting our workforce down to twenty five percent, and I looked at him and to be honest with you, I've been running for my whole life 80, 90 hour work weeks. And we had, you know, we, we've done really well. And to be honest with you, in my own mind, I was like, okay, this is a free vacation almost, yeah. you know? And I was almost going to, and I said to him, I said, listen, let's just shut this place down for a month. I don't want to deal with what's going on. We'll get back at it in a month. And he looks at me and he goes, listen, you can do what you got to do. I'm staying here. And I got a couple of salespeople that are staying with me. We're going to stay in that one office and we're going to hustle. So go do your thing. And for me, I was, ah, I can't, I can't be the, the owner at home letting everybody do all the work. Right. Now nah, I'll stay with you. And we, we knocked the cover off. I had the most profitable month selling half the cars without the staff. 
But if it weren't for him, it just continued from there for two years. Mm-hmm. But if I had to shut that place down for a month, how would once I open back up in a month, would it have been a month and a half? Would it have been two months? I don't know what would have happened. Right. But those two experiences right there, it just really, really made me value the, the people around us, our network. Yep. You know, these are employees, but they're still a network, you know. 100%. I, so I'm going to piggyback off what you said there, and I agree with you wholeheartedly, okay? And um, I, I I struggled for a while because I, I, I ask myself these questions. You know, I try to keep myself sharp, and I say, okay, you know, should I be focusing up more on, you know, book-read knowledge, watching YouTube videos, motivational speeches, and, you know, and the like, or should I be trying to meet more people? And the resounding answer, well above and beyond everything, was just increase the network and meet more people, right? And the reason I was able to come to that conclusion, and I'll just speak on my own personal experience, I can align with and I can understand everything that you just said. It all makes perfect sense. My experience on that topic is more of people that I met that had impact on me as far as lifting me up to a next level, right? So I reflected on my life and I said, okay, so were the, were the educators, you know, the teachers that taught me things and the facts that I was given, were those the things that really governed the, the vehicle or be, became rather the vehicle of my success? Is that what got me to the next level? So I looked back and I reflected on each, what I, what I felt was a significant moment um, where, where I moved to, to another level or, or kind of a level up in my life. And every single one of those moments was tied to an experience with another human being who had experienced a higher level of success than me, who um, had more experience on that particular topic than me. I mean, I could go through my experiences in prison, the times where I had to fight for my life, and the, the, the ways to move that I learned from you know, the people that had been in there the longest, you know, the old timers that showed me what to do and what not to do in certain situations. You know, in my childhood growing up, when, you know, meeting the right girl, finding the right thing to say, um, you know, getting on the football team, whatever it was, it was always tied to an experience with another human being who said, listen, I've been through this before. I know you think it's X, but it's really Y. Why don't you just try tweaking things slightly or just changing your thinking a little bit? And, and I think that you're going to see that you'll be able to accomplish this thing much easier, right? Um, in this later part of my life, that's that that thought has occurred exponentially, right? So the the more I experience success, the more I try to meet people, right? Um, it, so we can we can go back, in fact, to what we were first talking about briefly here for a moment, and that that is how the two uh, the two of us met. It was at the auction, and I remember what I noticed about you at the auction. There, there's an old quote, and it's something like, "If you want to know how to get something done, ask a busy guy," right? And I'm at the auction, and I'm seeing the typical you know, old guys over in the corner with their coffee, chewing on their cigars. And then I see that you know the guys over there that have their sweatshirts on for their other companies. You know, they they always have their used car dealership and a painting company and a drywall company and a well drilling company. You know, they're always uh, hustlers and entrepreneurs with seven different businesses, none of which break a hundred thousand dollars a year in revenue. You know, no disrespect to those guys, but you know the guys I'm talking about, right? And we'll tell you all day long about how they're entrepreneurs and hustlers. Stand in line for the free hot dog. Them are the guys. Them are the guys. Absolutely, <laughs> they get. They get. That annoyed me. Oh man, exactly. The, the guy and the, the same guys that arbitrate a car because uh, Zbart drilled a hole in the unibody to put rust proofing in, uh, and they got buyer's remorse, so they use that to get out of it. He's not from around here. Okay, he goes to Odessa. He's got the big, tall spikes. 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Shorter guy. Same thing. And he yeah. wore a sweatshirt with his own face on it, or his own yeah. likeness on it. Arbitrate, arbitrate arbitrate every car, and I'm standing on the block, and I'm big dicking it at that time. Yep. But I'm running 20, 30 cars a week. I'm yelling, ah, you know. I'm, I'm, I'm yeah, getting, come on, I'm, boys. That's a four by four. I'm getting yep. my confidence, right? And, I'm <laughs> in, and we're moving cars, and this kid would arbitrate every car. And I, I stood on the block, and I and I, you're, you're not buying my cars. Get out, of, get out of the lane. You're not buying the – and I, I – Every time I still see the guy to this day, we don't we don't make eye contact or talk. <laughs> but it was, I, I know what you mean. Well, he earned that. I mean, I, these yeah. guys. It drives me nuts, and not to get off topic, but folks, if you're a, if you're a car dealer, right, and th- and that's the difference, Rob. That's that's the staunch difference between somebody that's there to buy and sell cars and get shit done, and the guy that's there wanting to be a car dealer sees the success that the big swinging dicks have, but doesn't just have it in him to to push the envelope and take risk, right? Yep. So you're in the lane, and, I, and I'll be in the lane bidding with somebody else, right? And they'll they'll uh, I'll, I'll outbid them, and they'll come to me, and they'll say something like, geez, Big Luke, man, everybody's got to eat, man. Come on, let me get one of these things. And I'll turn and look at him and say, bro, my bid was 15-3. You could have had it if you just bid 15-4. Yeah, but wouldn't you have then been 15-5? Probably. Well, then what? Well, then you bid 15-6. Well, when's it going to stop? When I put my hand down. Yeah, but it didn't seem like you're ever going to put your hand down. It would have come down at some point, I promise you. And they kind of look at you like, this is infallible logic, you know? He, he's just willing to pay more than I'm willing to pay, right? Yeah. And it has to do with your ability to, you know, to source the car and sell the car and so on and so forth. Uh, but those are the guys that drive me nuts. And the, the same guys that, you know, they buy a car and then they're out in the lot afterwards. They're driving it for arbitration. And if the brakes are making noise, right? You buy a car, you plan on spending, you know, you, uh, maybe it's a nickel, you know, 500 bucks you plan on spending on a car of, of the echelon that you buy. I don't know. With us, it's, you know, 800 bucks, you know, we, we feel is probably going to be to get it saleable and frontline ready um, because we sell a little bit older used cars. So a lot of times, you know, a little bit more is necessary. Uh, but these guys are out there trying to find reasons to arbitrate the vehicle like they want to buy a car that's retail ready with all but an inspection sticker on it fresh fluids no noises drives down the road straight and if it's not they're you know make they're they're trying to say the noise coming from the blower motors coming from the engine so they can get they can you know get out of the vehicle yeah and and then and it's that's the other thing too is it's never okay and and when i would encounter a buyer like that when i was hosting exactly yep you know what it is you think there's some motor noise okay i don't agree with you but i tell you what i'll cancel the sale no you don't have to do that man just give me a 500 adjustment no that's okay i'll call the guy that was bid a hundred dollars less than you and i'll just sell it to him oh no no that's okay i'll just deal with it you know those guys drive me insane uh but getting back to what i was saying when i first met you i i I was incredibly inspired by you because, you know, I saw the commercials, I saw the persona. And one thing I did know, because one of my mentors is, is like that, you know, on TV, on radio a lot, he's got the voice, he's got the hand gestures and just that larger than life presence. But when you meet the guy, he's very down to earth. He's a very religious guy. He's just, he's just an incredible human being. He's, he's part of the reason that I'm here today. He helped invest and start my company way back when, uh, I'm talking about Rich Lester, the owner of, uh, of Z-Bar. Um, and, and his larger-than-life persona is what attracts people to him. It, it's what allows him to operate in the way that he does so zealously in business. But it's his demeanor, his real demeanor, and his just murderous work ethic that allowed him to reach the levels of success that he did. So when I would observe you, I would observe you in the A-lane, bidding on a car, answering a phone call, checking an app on your phone, adjusting your collar, going to the B lane, bidding on a car, going out to the front line to look at the car you just bid on, back to the C lane to bid on, and it was just movement. It was always activity. And I said to myself, 
if that guy's truly that busy and he really truly has that much going on to where he's never leaning on a podium or on, on one of the columns, you know, just looking off in the distance or he's not, you know, playing Candy Crush Saga on his phone like the rest of these nut jobs, that's the guy I want to talk to. And I believe, I can't remember it, you know, like it was yesterday. My short-term memory is about as good as yours. Uh, but I know that it was something along the lines of, I introduced myself to you. I told you I was a new dealer in the area, that I was, you know, going to be not really a competitor of yours, but I would be in the same marketplace. Um, and I wanted you to know, you know, who I was, say hello, whatever. And that was pretty much the size of it. You did what intelligent hustlers do. You, you assessed the threat level. You said, oh, really? Where's your place? Oh, good for you. What kind of cars are you selling? Oh, that's nice. What kind of banks are you using? You doing subprime? You doing, you know, and, and I remember kind of inside I was smirking while I was answering the questions. I was like, okay, Rob, I, I see you, buddy. I see you. You're making the damage assessment. You're, you know, checking the, the competition to see what, what the threat level is. You know, you're assessing the threat just, just like a general on the battlefield, right? And most people would take offense to that. You know, they would, they would probably... Um, I don't know, become adversarial in their position at that point, I immediately respected you and I, and I had a fondness for you because I'm like, you know, this, this is a guy that although, you know, he's really serious about business, I can tell he's, he's about no bullshit, but he took the time to shake my hand. He asked me a few questions. He made me feel like, you know, he actually cared what I had to say when I answered those questions and he was a gentleman. And I felt as though that was, similar to the way I behave. So, you know, and I know what my goals are and what my vision is. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, this, this is a guy that, that I should align myself with. So, you know, it was, it was touch and go. It was, you know, maybe the next auction, we didn't talk a couple auctions later, you know, I would just drop a quick hello in there. We would talk. And then as time went on, you had, you know, a question for me here or there. I had a question for you here or there. And over time, it just kind of developed. Then it was an exchange of phone numbers at one point. Um, and then I think I, I had a customer. I remember this. I remember, this, this, you might remember this or not. This, you get a chuckle out of this. So I had a customer at my Syracuse store, and he was a previous customer of mine. Yep. His son was looking for a pickup truck. It was a Dodge Ram, I believe, or a Ford F-150 maybe. The guy's looking for a truck. He came to look at one that I have. The one I had was a little too rough for him. He basically told me what he was looking for. I hopped on your website real quick. Excuse me. Because I'm that kind of guy, right? If I know that there's another person in business who I know has a sound moral compass, who's ethical and who sells a good product, yep. And I don't have the thing for this customer. I have no problem referring business, right? That's another thing I don't understand. These car dealers that, you know, they, they just, they'll write your name down, put it in their Rolodex, right. write down what you're looking for, put it in their pocket. And they know full well one of their, you know, competitors has a vehicle that could very well serve that customer. They, they know that they're probably never in a million year, years going to acquire what that customer is looking for, yet they still don't pass that customer along. And I just cannot align with that logic. So I called you up and I said that, uh, you know, I had this customer, I was going to send him your way. And I, and I said to you, I said something along the lines of Rob just, I said, do you have any room in the truck? And you said, yeah, I mean, I could knock a thousand bucks off. And I said, when he comes, knock 500 bucks off, tell him you're doing it because I sent him and that he's getting preferential treatment because I sent him to you. That'll be enough for him. He'll pay the 500 bucks off and he'll buy the truck. And then it was like, I don't know, a week and a half later, you sent me a text message, um, you know, hey. Mr. I think it was Mike Muldoon. Maybe he's like, Hey, Mr. Muldoon bought. Thank you. I appreciate that. And then the next time I talked to you, I remember your demeanor was different. You were less guarded. You were, it was, I almost felt like I proved myself to you. Like I told you I was a nice guy. I told you that I, you know, I had no problem. I wasn't, I wasn't a, a cutthroat asshole like the rest of these guys. Yep. I said, if I can help you, I will. I just asked for that in return. And I, that was kind of like the proving grounds. That was me, you know, 
sending out the olive branch, basically. Yeah. I think that's the, the reference that you would use in that scenario. Yeah. Um, and I would, uh, it, 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 from that point forward, I felt like you're like, okay, this guy's, this guy's the real deal. This, yeah. this guy's safe. You know what I mean? He's a fair guy. So that's, that's how I, I recall kind of the, the beginnings of our relationship. And then since then, you know, you've bestowed upon me a significant amount of knowledge that I didn't have, which does two things for me. It shows me that number one, you're a kind individual and you you don't mind helping other people, even if they are somewhat competitive in nature. I, I can't believe that there's been the past six years or seven years that have gone on and there's not been one CNY drives deal lost to Bridgeland or vice versa, right. you know. But, but it, it has to do most likely with who has what inventory at what time. Right. But I just, that, that all left a very good taste in my mouth. And, and moving forward, I just, um, you, you've bestowed a lot of knowledge upon me. You've helped me with a lot of things. You've made me aware of some things that I that I wasn't aware of that have helped me move my company forward, and for that I'm grateful. Um, and uh, and people should understand, okay, in this room right now, and I'm going to say I'm going to make kind of a bold statement, okay, but I would say are two of probably the fastest moving, um, and you know other people might look on to this people from our area and chuckle and go, yeah, duh, you know, but obviously we try to remain humble. But I, I don't think there's any question that. My company and what we're doing by way of inexpensive subprime catering used car customer that we're, there's no way we're not considered the fastest mover in central New York right now, moving and growing and doing what we're doing. Um, and your company, by and large, what you're doing in the late model used cars is, is, is the major player out there right now. So I say that not to gloat and not to be egomaniacal, but I say that to show the audience that here you have two guys that are probably two of the more successful, if not most successful in their space, in our area, in our arena, and they're discussing about how they share information. They help each other out. They're, they, they don't hold everything, you know, they don't hold their hand close to the chest. They're generous. They're, you know, we went to, we just went to lunch the other day, right? A couple of weeks ago, you had less hair back, uh, back I then. I can't believe that. How old are you? I'm 45. I'm 38. You're 45 and you're growing back thicker, fuller, better colored hair after shaving it. And I'm losing it day by day. That's somewhat depressing. I went bald for, I went bald for this commercial and. Tell I, them about that commercial. I did a commercial where I was just going into a, a barber shop. I always. I do I do a different thirty second commercial uh, every month for the most part, and uh, you know I always come up with a skit. I come up with the idea. I got pages and pages of just ideas, and the idea was is that you know it was commercial day, and then I go you know I'm leaving the dealerships. You know, hey guys, gotta go grab a haircut. I'll be right back at commercials today, and I walk into the barber shop. Okay, it's that time again, guys, and uh, I sit down, and he screws my hair up on accident. We had to really do that. Uh, shave a, a bald spot through my hair, and I had a lot longer hair than I have today. And uh, the camera people didn't want, you know, the studio didn't want to do it. And uh, No, like, why not? They're like, listen, we know how you are, man. We know how you are. They're like, listen, if we shave your head and we don't get the take right in the first year, two, I'm like, I'll take the responsibility for it. He's like, no, listen, they call, the boss called me, 325 Productions. So his boss calls me. Rob, we're not comfortable with the hair thing. And I got, I'm like, listen, it's my fucking hair. I was just going to say you're paying these people. I'm 45 years old. It's my <laughs> hair. If I want to shave my hair, I'll shave it. You're not responsible. If you do a bad take, I don't care. Let's just do it. And uh, we did it. Long story short, so then I go bald. And in my mind, for forever, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, shit, man, someday I'm going to go bald. I'm thinking about my grandfather. Always a thought in my head, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, every, thinning a little bit, I'm like, ah, I'm a, you know, I'm always nervous about losing my hair. And then when I shaved it off, I'm like, Shit, dude, I don't look that bad bald. <laughs> I, thought, I, thought, I, I thought I was going to be some egghead. I'm like, fuck, jeez, man, I've never been bald before. I'm like, okay, cool. I got I, I, The future's not going to be so so dark. That's so bad. And uh, I'm in my house, and at the time, I'm 
you know, I'm putting on a little weight, trying to get in the gym a little bit, you know, and uh, I'm like, fuck, dude, the ball, somebody at the dealership, like, dude, you look like somebody from fucking, uh, what's that show? History, American History X. American History X, Ed Norton, yep. Look aggressive, and I'm like, yeah. I like that. Yeah, right. I go home, tell my wife, I'm listening, I'm, ke- I'm keeping the ball. You're not. She freaked. <laughs> she freaked out. So, she, you know, she's like, listen, God blessed you with good hair. Yep. Do not let it go to waste. You, you know, okay, here we are. So we're back to the hair again. So the day is going to come where you don't have a choice, right? Okay. It's going to be, that decision is going to be made for you. So at that time, bask in your baldness. But I have to agree with your wife on this one. Coming from a guy that watches the hair slowly disappear every day. You got a good full head of hair. You enjoy it for as long as you can. Um, that just uh, about your commercial, by the way, from somebody who's very critical of, of media and commercials, because um, the guy that does my social media here in the studio, Mr. Mr. Friedberg there, um, is just so intensely focused on being at the cutting edge of everything. So I'm always aware of what, you know, what is uh, um, new and interesting and on the cutting edge. Um, that was a good commercial. It was a good nice. quick hitter. It was funny. It got the, got it accomplished. And now knowing that you did it in one take, of course, one would think you know, in hindsight, there's probably only one take that would be possible there. Uh, but, but you know, you did a good job. So I, I want to shift gears here a little bit. Um, the, the audience knows this about me, Rob, and I, and I wonder how comfortable you'd be speaking on it. Um, and, and what I try to do when I have somebody in the studio is I, I try to build them up uh, so people can understand how impressive of a human being is in front of them, right? So we've talked about, you know, parents and the childhood wasn't the greatest. We talked about that you didn't really come from, you know, the middle of a, a, a prep school in, in uh, you know, uh, New York City where million-dollar bankers walk the streets every day. Just a central New York native that kind of figured out uh, business and navigated this whole thing on his own. But there's one thing that I do know about you that you've shared with me, and that is a, a battle with addiction. Um, what... <sighs> What point in your life was a substance introduced and how? Um, first time is probably around a campfire at a KOA campgrounds. Mom and dad and all their friends getting me drunk. Okay. And, you know, it's funny. I'm running around, you know, falling all over the place. Pissing in the trees. It's funny, right? We it's have funny. that in common, Rob. Funny to everybody. So that's usually the start of it. I can't say that that's the send-off for me, but it was uh, – I'm 17 years old. Keep in mind, I went through high school, not a drug, nothing. Really? All the way through high school? All the way through high school. Smoked weed. Okay. You know, I'd steal weed out of my parents' briefcase. It's legal now. I talked to my buddies about a a story about my dad taking me to Monster Jam. And I'm like, yeah. And then before we went in, my dad made me finish my beer. And they're like, wait, what? (laughs) How old were you? I was 12. Your dad wouldn't let you go into Monster Jam until you finished your beer? Yeah, I was a little upset to my stomach. I felt like I was going to puke. But he said if I didn't finish the beer, I couldn't go in. And they're looking at each other like pulling out business cards for therapists and, you know, looking for weapons in my car. Like yeah. I must be some psycho because of how cavalierly I refer to some of the things that happened in the early part of my life, you know, well into being a minor and well before my brain had developed to a point where I should have been making a decision like that. And I talk about it so nonchalantly. You just said that your dad was a drug dealer and you said it like, yeah, it was my dad was a drug dealer. You know, no big deal. Everybody's dad's a drug dealer and you kept it moving. Our audience just sat back and, and went, holy shit, this guy's dad was a drug dealer? So I'm saying that just to, A little pot. Right? <laughs> right, but think about <laughs> it. When, though? In the, in the 90s? Yeah, probably in the 80s. So, you know, yeah, just a little pot. And to guys that have been through what you and I have been through, it's no big fucking deal, right? It's, it's, it's a flash in the pan. But to the majority of society, and this is something that I haven't really learned or come to terms with until much later in my life, 
is that guys like us are the minority, man. Not everybody's parents sell drugs, do drugs, do lines in front of them, hand them shots on their birthday. I, I didn't know this, but that's not really a thing I came to find out. So yeah. I, I'm just saying that. And again, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that, that I think right there is how guys like us got off of a path okay, and got kind of lost in Never Neverland is because we didn't have a good compass by which to travel, okay? You were told at a young age that, you know, getting drunk around a KOA campfire, you know, at what, what, early teens? Eight years old? Eight, okay, eight. I thought drinking beers with my dad between 10 and 12 was bad. You're talking eight years old, right? Eight years old. So, you know, forgive yourself, you know, for, for, for any um, wrongdoings by way of substance at any point in your life, Rob, because any parent that's going to introduce, you know, drugs and alcohol to their kid at eight, 10 years old, may be a good human being, may be a loving human being. I'm not saying your parents are bad people. Yeah, no. My parents, boy, we'll just, we'll skirt the line there. The thing, the, the, here, here's something I, I, I really bought into. Okay. They worked with the tools that they had to work with. Yep. Okay. Those yep. are their tools that they had in their toolbox. Okay. They, you know, they were raised by their family. And, you know, keep in mind, my fam, my mom and my stepfather raised me uh, since I was two years old. Just call it my dad. Um, you know, they come from a family of nine and 11, you know, brothers and sisters. Okay. So, you know, it's my mom, my mother comes from severe abuse. Um, you know, bathtub through a rotted floor in the basement, hose dragged from the outside of the house in the pour of the water. And, you know, 25 cents a, a day they were given for SpaghettiOs and, my mom still eats macaroni and milk. I mean, that's the cheapest thing they could buy is boxes of macaroni. And, uh, you know, so I come from, I come from my, my parents come from broken homes, Yep. you know? So how much do you really want to put on them? And, you know, we can all go back and, you know, I said, I've been through rehabs. So we know that. Yep. Um, we can look at, you know, this one was a, molested by her father. I mean, everybody's got something, man. Right. And it's just, you know, for me, I did drugs because I like the effect of drugs when I ingest them into my body. Sure. I like the effect. I like how drugs make me feel. Can I ask you a question, though? And, I, and I'm, I'm with you. I'm the same way. I take full responsibility for I, my actions. But are you going to give your eight-year-old child a beer? No. Okay. So that's my point when it comes to this topic and why I harbor aggression towards my parents. And it's not, you know, malicious. I want to kill them and, you know, bury their bodies Get in the it. woods. It, it's I'm angry because I think I could have been better off much much earlier on and i think i could be much further along now had i had a, a better compass by which to travel a better road map by which to navigate the early part of my life and i think that we tend to as addicts we tend to give our parents a little bit too much of a pass because when i asked you that question if you were going to be like excuse me yeah you know a few beers at eight or nine it's not a big deal you know i did it then i would say okay i understand your logic but for me I know that my kid ain't going to touch a cigarette, a joint, a beer, nothing until, you know, I'd like to say until they're legally able to, but am I going to let my son drink a beer to celebrate his graduation from high school? If all his friends, if, if that's the group of friends that he's in, if it's supervised, if I'm there, I'm not going to be the holier than thou guy that says, no way, I'm going to do everything by the book. I'm probably going to be manipulated and talked into by my children to let them do something less than savory before they're supposed to, right? I think that's part of being a parent. But I'm not going to do it at the age that, that I was. And I'm not going to be the guy that encourages it. I'm not going to be the guy that buys it for him. I'm not going to be the guy that glorifies it and says, oh, if you can't drink two beers before the Monster Jam at 12, then you're a pussy. I'm not going to be that guy. So I came from a fucked up home life, but I'm making the, the decision 
not to bring that into my child's life. So when you say, can we really be mad at them because they use the tools they were given, if they were given a cognizant brain that could read a book and watch a public service announcement and read a scientific study if they chose to, I believe they're responsible. So you're a little more forgiving than me when it comes to that because I believe my parents had every ability to curb that behavior and to, to do differently, but they chose not to. They chose the easy route. Yeah. For me, I just, you know, I have to, I have to get past it for myself. So yeah. my thing is, is if I can, I can, I, I'm not going to live in that space. Right. You know, it's, uh, I have to forgive, right? We know the best therapy is forgiveness. hundred percent. You know, so it's, um, for me, it's, I don't know, maybe I'm a little easy to forgive. You know, I am in a lot of ways, you know, not just with my family, with a lot, with most people in my life, a lot of people have done, you know, some shitty things to me and, you know, I, I still forgive them. You right. know what I mean? I, I just do. I don't, I don't want to live like that. Well, it's healthy behavior, and, I, and I've forgiven them as well, or I would have never been able to get to where I'm as, at right now, but I'm certainly not afraid to have that conversation when it comes up. Where but you're, the, you're probably a little for, more yeah. forgiving than I am. Well, kind of the resentment <laughs> for me, I don't, I don't want to say resentment if there's any, but you know, I remember being an 8, 9, 10-year-old kid. My father owned a repair shop. I'm there cleaning his shop on Saturdays. They'd have me clean the trucks out. Um, his brother had a son, obviously. It's my cousin. Yeah. You know, We used to ride dirt bikes out in the back of the shop every Saturday. But we'd have to clean the truck and do our thing, you know. And I remember as a as an eight, nine, ten year old kid cleaning under the seat of the truck and just fucking just tissue after tissue after tissue. And my cousin's like eight years old and he's like, Come here, you want me to show you something? He takes me in the bathroom, one of the bathrooms in the in the shop, and you know, there's a there's a a mirror, some coke on it and straws and shit like that. So long story short, we lost everything we had over the cocaine. Okay. Uh IRS took the business. Uh, you know, we lived in a nice house in North Syracuse. Uh, you know, I remember laying in bed one night and hearing him tell my mother, I'm laying in bed and I hear him say to her, he's like, I want you and the kids fucking out of the house tomorrow morning. And I'm laying, I hear it next day, moving trucks out front. And, uh, here we go. We're living in Valentine garden apartments. And we went from living, living good. And now we're in the apartments. Mom's on welfare, uh, not welfare. She was a waitress, you know, and looking back, right. we'd go to PNC and Maddydale, you know, and when it was time to pay for the groceries, I'm, I, I used to always get in the wheelchair and just fuck around and, and shit like that because I, I don't want to, you know, back then they had food stamps. Right. I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't, ah, I don't want somebody to see me with the food stamps near my mom. So it was like, and I went through that shit for my whole life, man. My dad, you know, I'd go to my father's house, my real father on the weekends. I still have a relationship with him to this day. You know, mom and stepdad, you know, they own business. They're, they're, they're doing well. We go out to dinner. We do our thing. You know, I, I kind of a stupid little thing but i always remember fruity pebbles at mom's house yeah nonstop. yeah you go to dad's on the weekend dad's a biker tattooed head to toe a frame in the driveway pulling motors harley davidson's friends all over the place um no sugar on your cereal you're sitting there you're eating your dinner till you get up just crying for hours and just you're not moving and it was just night and day going from mom's house where i just you know it's ordering pizza every night doing you know right and going to dad's and it was just like discipline but it was also and for me, we talk about that confidence. Go back to that for a minute. I'm at mom's house, right? Dad lives in the same school district, five miles down the road. Yep. I'm at mom's, and, you know, we're, again, nice neighborhood, living, living a good life. I go to dad's on the weekend. All of a sudden, I get off of my Haro. Now I'm on some shitty Huffy, okay? And I'm riding the bikes up the street. The kids that lived on the street uh, went to school with me. But they're picking on me. You know, they stop my bike, put their knees on my bar, won't let me move. Right. Picking on me because we're the poor kids on the block. Yeah. You know, we're the, we're the, we're the biker bumps. 
but you know, and but me, me in my mind, I'm going, no, dude, I live better than you guys all week long. Right. You guys have no idea. So it was for me. It, you want to talk about you know, eight, nine, ten, eleven years old, going from rags to riches once a week. Okay, and having to deal with the kids getting picked on. But uh, you can't. They're going to believe that I lived nicer than them all right. week. You don't want to hear that. Yeah. So it was just like you know, that, you want to talk about some internal turmoil, for sure, man. That 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 shit affected me, man. There's no question about that. So, you know, I just never never fit in. It was just, uh, I don't know, man. I just never never did, man. Never quite fit in. Never, and I became a loner. And that was my thing, and I just kept to myself. I was always the kid in high school with the nicest cars in the in the parking lot because. But I worked. My right. parents didn't give me nothing, you know. But I worked my ass off for those cars. And you know, dad's in the car business a little bit, so he can help me to kind of maneuver through things and, and put things together. But, um. Yeah, you want to talk about just some fucking turmoil. But back when we get into the drugs, you know, so here I am, you know, I'm cleaning Coke tissues out of a truck. Right. It is what it is. But, you know, looking back now, you're like, fuck, okay. It's got to do something for you. Uh, Mom and dad are in the bedroom with their friends smoking pot, and I'd get super resentful. I could smell it. You know, they're hiding something from me. Yeah. So it was a big deal for me. You know, and I'd get ice cold, wouldn't talk to them and all this shit. I remember all that, right? And uh, so fast forward the tape, 17 years old. Uh, graduated top of my class, um, doing really well. I'm, I got done, I think I graduated 13th out of 1,088 kids in Jesus. Liverpool for academics. And I was wow. just, and so I was pretty book smart, but I was always the kind of, I never took homework home. Obviously did in the guidance office yep. every day. Yep. Uh, didn't push myself to crazy classes. Didn't try to do ex- excel this, excel that. It was kind of basic stuff. So, I mean, I, it, you know, not to credit myself too much, but I'm saying, you know, I, I did some pretty easy courses and I aced them, obviously. But I get out of high school and I'm like, I don't want to go to college. I hated school. And I decided, uh, what am I going to do? So I remember going into a Marine Corps. Uh, I went to a Marine Corps uh, Recruiter. recruiter's office. Yeah. And talking to them and thinking to myself, they sold me on the idea that, you know what, you don't know what you want to do right now. Why don't you go kill four years, Great, grab some discipline in the meantime. Yep. And then we'll pay for your school anyways. And I'm like, and I had scholarships that I didn't want to take advantage of. And I'm like, all right, all right, that works. There's my out right yeah. now. I can kill four years, you know, think about it. Can I bring, can I bring some friends with me? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd love it. So I get two friends going go on a buddy system. And by the time I got fake IDs, I'm out at the nightclub. I'm out at Club 37. And, you know, I, I get in a fight with somebody. And then I start mouthing off to a bouncer. And I fell down. on it was ice out. And he jumped right on my ankle. And crushed my ankle. So long story short, it delayed, went my, to military, delayed right. my entry for four or five months. My buddies my buddies are waiting for me, right? Yeah. And uh, four or five months passes. Now it's about time to go in. I don't want to go anymore. I'm over it. <laughs> what but changed? What changed? I don't know. I, okay. I just, I just, I don't know. It's the you same know? thing that changed when somebody's there ready to buy a car, then they sit and think about it for five Buyers years, they come back, it's the yeah. ether wears off. The ether. Yep. So for me, you get on that little high, right? I got something new. It's a, yep. you know, I'm telling my everybody, I'm going to the military. I'm going to, you yep. know, and that kind of wore off. But and so my friends are looking at me. The one friend of mine, Luigi, he looks at me and he goes, dude, I fucking waited for you for four months, dude. Don't you do this shit to me. Right. All right, I'll go. So I go, long story short, I get in there. Not a, not a good fit. I, I went in there with the wrong idea get in there and I, I quit, you know, I'm in there for a week and I, I can go through the whole story. Long story short, I quit. I'm not doing this shit for wasn't, four years. Wasn't for you. Not doing it for four years. Uh, I go through a whole litany of things. A month later, I, get, I end up home. Now, keep in mind, family had a party, the whole bit for me, you know, 
Um, I go home and I'm like, I feel like a piece of shit because I'm like, fuck, dude. I, my whole family just had a fucking party for me. Right. And uh, I probably felt like the biggest piece of shit right there and uh, started hanging out with this little little crowd of guys and, uh, you know, started doing acid, dropping acid, okay. drinking, got my first DWI at 17. I wanted to be, you know, at that time in my mind, when I got out of the military, I thought I wanted to be a police officer. Okay. Wanted to be a state trooper. In my mind, I just wanted to be a trooper. But got the DWI. Well, that dream's gone. Yep. Okay. Not even waste your time doing that. And uh, started getting into cocaine. And I remember a buddy of mine, Mark, who's dead, killed himself. Uh, God rest his soul. But he uh, he brings cocaine over. And uh, a bunch of little Liverpool kids, right? When, Got a line of kids, five bucks a line he's selling them for in the closet. <laughs> Are right? you kidding yeah, me? Yeah, I mean, just fucking line never stopped. Jesus Christ. And uh, so we're doing our little cocaine. And all of a sudden, it was like magic for me, man. Yeah. And now I could talk. I'm confident. I'm happy. Yeah. I'm just, I don't want to shut up. I, oh, the euphoria. I just yeah. want to talk, 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 talk. Fell in love with the shit. <sighs> yep. Loved it. And then it was like a once in a while kind of a thing when somebody brought it around. Really, The attic part really didn't really kick in yet. Okay. And uh, I, I traveled to, I ended up with a stripper. And those two things kind of go hand in hand. Don't well, they? what happened with me was a little, <laughs> little bit. <laughs> so I'm, I'm selling weed, right? And I got, okay. I'm, I'm buying a pound of weed. Yep. It's paying my rent. I flip my pound of weed. It's paying my rent. I got a Cadillac. I'm driving a you know, seven, eight year old Cadillac. I'm living, I'm renting a room off this girl in North Syracuse, hanging out at this little house. We're doing our $5 lines in the closet. Okay. And uh, so I had somebody introduce me to crack that night. Okay. He says, listen, let's go down the south side and smoke, smoke and crack. Have you yep. ever smoke crack? And I'm like, oh, what's that going to do? He's like, bro, 10 times better than this shit. Right, let's go. I ended up at the south side. I ended up blowing through like four or 500 bucks of that money. And I had just enough to re-up the next day. And the kid that's sitting with me, he's also dead. He's sitting with me and uh, he goes, you, you want to win your money back? Let's go to the casino. At the time, they were just opening the Turning Stone. It was one room. had okay. a tarp in the front of it. <laughs> and he's like, play roulette, black or red. All right, cool. So I end up going to the casino. These two strippers are there. I end up meeting them. And I'm, I'm, I'm betting like crazy at the table. And I'm hit, 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 black or red. I'm hitting everything. And this girl came up. Must have thought I just had money. I'm a young young kid. Yep. You know? These two girls are in their teens. And... Uh, I went down to 60 bucks. It was all I had to my name. I had no way, no way to recuperate any money. I had no outlets, nothing. Right. Um, I'm depressed as hell. So long story short, she's getting ready to leave. Buddy, the kid that's with me goes, dude, you going to go hang out with her? And I'm like, nah, fuck that, man. I'm going home. I go to walk outside. I see her getting to a brand new Firebird. I'm used to high school girls. Right. I've seen a girl rolling like that. Right. Pretty too, man. I see her and I go up. Oh, fuck this. I knock on her window. All right, I'll hang out with you. Yeah. Well, we end up hanging out. She, we end up traveling to Vegas. Me and my buddy, her and her friend, we get in a car. We drive to Vegas. That day? No, probably a week later. Okay, okay. Within a yeah, short I'm dropping her off though. at work. I'm rocking her car all night long, and I'm going to my buddy's party house every night. She okay. goes there one night, thinks she hears me talking to some girl behind the band the wall. wasn't. Uh, she tries to come after me with a vodka bottle. We get into a physical altercation. Nothing crazy. She walks, leaves me the car. Next day, she calls me and goes, me and Rain are going to Vegas. If you, if you, if you don't go. She walks, leaves you the car? She left me her car. Yeah. Wow. Nice girl. And uh, so we end up in a car. We travel to Vegas. And uh, the two the two girls get in an argument. My buddy and the other girl end up going back home. We stay there four months. And we're just living. I'm living every day. I'm pawning my gold chain off 
every couple of days because she wouldn't she'd have a shit night at the club and right. she was living day to day to day. Right, right. Anyways, I end up uh, still not really in the not really drugging, man. Not really a big thing for me at that point. Okay. We end up coming back to New York at this time. Now she's my girlfriend. Okay. I don't want her dancing anymore. Right. Right. So, uh, so that's crazy, man, telling these stories. But so I had her boosting at the mall. Okay. That was her, you know, I'll go out and work a little job, but you got to boost. Yep. So I had her, and that was her job, going to the mall. and For the audience, what's boosting, Rob? Boost is, is, is uh, it's stealing. Yes. The five-finger <laughs> so, discount, as some would refer to it. I try to remember that the audience isn't uh, always got such a nefarious background as guys yeah. like you and me, so we want to make sure they're on the same page. So I had her at the mall stealing. Had her boosting, yep. Right. And had her boosting. So long story short, she goes out to get a job. The boosting thing is getting old, right? So she ended up going and getting a job at uh, Ford dealership. Okay. At the time, we all wear suits and ties back in the day, oh, back yeah. in the 90s. Yes, sir. She comes home. She goes, hey, she gave me a, a box with her stripper heels cut off and stuff. And what's that? I got a job today. What are you doing? I'm selling cars. What do you mean? How did you, you get a job selling cars? You, <laughs> you know, I'm in college. She's like, yeah, they just hired me. I walked in, they hired me. I just assumed in my simple mind that if anybody wears a suit and a tie, has to have a college degree. College degree, degree right? Yeah. So I'm like, are you kidding me? You walked in? I'm jealous. I go to a father's friend of mine. Long story short, I go to, I'm getting way off topic with you, but. Oh, man, this is, this is what it's all about. This is reality. I go to my father's friend that works at Crest Cadillac. Yeah. I walk in there. I'm like, listen, I, I want a job selling cars. Uh, no, you don't, kid. He's a Russian guy, Ivan. He goes, <laughs> no, you don't, kid. You don't want this job. It takes your life up. You don't want to do it. Yes, I do. Yeah. No, you don't. Trust me. Go do something else. I, Ivan, I'm getting a job with or without you. I'm asking for your help. It's a good thing you didn't listen to Ivan. Yep. So, Ivan, <laughs> I'll make a couple phone calls for you. Okay. He calls me back the next day. He did make a couple phone calls. He gives me two options. You can go to Sam Del Dodge. You can make 80 grand a year. They call it the House of Pain. House of Pain, baby. You can go there and they'll just work the wheels off you. Yep. If you're successful, you're successful. You make a lot of money over there, but they're not going to teach you. You're just going to throw you on the floor. Right. Or you go to Heritage Lincoln Mercury, you're going to make about 30 grand a year. Yep. But if you learn their way of selling cars, which is back like 1960 style, say this. If he says, if nobody talks, first person that talks, old school as yep. hell. First person to talk loses. I mean, every play was, was formulated yep. there. And they held you to it. And, you know, at that time, I, I had to be at the meeting. Um, they wouldn't let me have hair in my face. Okay. A man with hair in his face has something to hide that was his owner's model. Had to wear a suit and tie. Couldn't be a minute late to the meeting or he had to pay a dollar. Just a, <laughs> But I needed that discipline. Right. And... I, le- I, took that, I took that job as opposed to the higher-paying job. Okay. I wanted to learn the right way of doing this. Okay. And uh, Showed some discipline early on, though. I, just, I wanted to learn the right way. Man. Right. I didn't, have any, you know, I didn't really have anything to back me up. Okay. I knew that you know, I, my police ID was out. I, long story short, I get, into the, I get into the car business, and uh, I start making some money. Okay. You know, probably there I was making 50 grand a year. And we're talking about what year range is this? What decade? 90s. 90s. Okay, Late so 50 90s. grand. That's like... 85 grand now, I would say, probably. probably, right? Okay. But good money for me. I never touched that kind Especially of money. you were how old? $1,000 paycheck in my teens, yeah. late teens, yep. early, 20 years old. But uh, then we started getting into the hard stuff. But uh, here we go. I'm a car salesman doing my thing. I got in a, you know, my apartment's spotless, brand new furniture. I'm OCD as they come. Yep. Okay. Every little thing, my dry cleaning had to be dropped up on Sunday. I mean, I'm a very systematic guy. Yeah. Um, I get a roommate that works with me. We get an apartment on uh, the west side, uh, right up the street from where we are right now. And uh, he says to me, listen, I'm going to bring you out to my buddy's boat on Skinny Atlas Lake. He goes, he's a little crazy. He's like, do me, do me a favor. Don't, don't try to make too close of friends with this kid. Okay. Because he'll drag you down. All right. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm good. Let's go. 
We go out to the boat. We get in the boat. This kid's been up for two or three days. He hasn't slept. He's in the boat. I look in the cuddy cabin. I see two handguns in the cuddy cabin. I've not really been exposed to that shit. Right. I look in there, and I'm like, the fuck? This kid is fucking off his rocker. Right. All of a sudden, we have a little banter back and forth because he thought I was ignoring him. The radio was too loud. Didn't hear him. Right. So he kind of stands me up, and he's like, I'm fucking talking to you for 10 minutes. You know, one of those. And long story short, we, uh, I'm like, all right, I can't hang out with this guy. Right. I said to Teo, listen. So a couple weeks later, Teo, my roommate, he goes yep. to me, listen, he's moving upstairs from us. Are you fucking kidding me? This was the guy that you uh, had the running with on the boat? Yeah. Okay. So he goes, moving upstairs from this us. This is Finnegan? I'm, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? He's moving upstairs from us. I'm like, no, dude, I don't want this kid. Come on, bro. Yeah, come on. You know, I know how he is. He just barges in your house. Right. That's Finnegan, right? Right. And uh, long story short, moves upstairs. <laughs> It's a couple, I mean, when he wanted to come in, he just opened your door. Yeah. He opened your fridge, that's him. So he'd come in and disrupting my perfect little pad, right? Yes. And uh, he comes in and, you know, he's a Coke dealer at the okay. time. Okay, okay. And uh, he's way past that, so we could talk about that. Here's a, Coke, here's a Coke dealer. Kid's got boats, cars, paying for his girlfriend's apartment, he's paying for his own apartment. I never knew a drug dealer up, the, up close like that. Right. Little dime bag guys, but somebody that's really doing it yeah. and living Supporting a life with it. Right. Pretty impressive to me. Of course. And uh, I wanted to be like that guy. Okay. You know? But so he goes ahead and he puts a gram of cocaine down on the table. And he splits it into two lines. He, his his buddy Doug is there. He goes, here, do that. I'm like, oh, bro, I can't, I can't do that much. He's like, I'm like, you try to break that into two. I start to, he's like, no, either you're doing the whole you're thing. You're doing it or you're not. You're doing the whole I'm thing. I'm not that guy. You're doing the whole thing or Doug's getting it all. Yeah. Well, half a gram. There I go. <laughs> Called me up in the middle of the night. Yo, you want to come split one? Well, of course I did. Of course I do. Right? I'm upstairs and I'm splitting one. Long story short, you know, in a short period of time, I don't have a job anymore. Yeah. I'm sitting in front of my, he and I were up for five days. And, uh, you know, I, I said I wouldn't even go go down these roads, but fuck it. It is what it is. He and, our, he and I are up for five days. And uh, I'm, we can't get high anymore. It's we're not we're not feeling it, and uh, all of a sudden he. Later on that night, the kid looks. You know, we're fucked up bad. You yeah. know, yeah, yeah. and we're in Arby's drive-through, and he looked at me. He goes, "Listen, man." He goes, uh, "He goes when I first met you, whatever. We're just hanging out." He goes, "But over the last six seven months, you and I have become pretty close. I consider you a close friend, and I don't have many friends that I call friends." Yeah, he goes, "You know, I, I do what I do. I'm a drug dealer. I got to keep doing what I do. I got to feed my life." He goes, but I'm not going to keep doing this to you anymore. So from this point on, I don't want to hear from you. Don't call me. I'm going in my direction. You're going to go in yours. I've been at this kid's hip. I lost my job. I'm, you know, I'm, just, I'm at, the, I'm riding in the car with this kid all day long. Right. And I start crying, man. Yeah. And I'm like, fuck well, me naturally, fuck you're me five out. days no sleep, and Papa Bear just told you to get the fuck out of the den. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I end up here. I am, at my mom, in front of my mom and my sister, and it was the first time the egg got cracked. Okay. And I'm sitting in front of them, telling them. Everything I did. I got a sister that's probably 14 years old. Yeah. Uh, a mom that doesn't know what to fucking do. Right? <laughs> and I'm telling her every detail of everything that's been going on in my life for the last six, seven months. Yeah. They had no clue. Okay. And uh, he and I went in our own direction. And uh, I, I end up uh, working for Sam Dell at the time. They had hunted me back out of Heritage. I'm a closer there. And at the time, I start getting into, uh, I hook back up with Okay. Okay, it's probably a year later. 
And at this time, he's already switched jobs. Now he's working at Jay's Village Chevy. Okay. And he's got this kid, uh, his friend of his name, Mike Kramer. Mike's dead as well. Overdosed. Uh, Seems to be a pattern developing. Here. Uh, it's, uh, they, all, they all do. I mean, so I, got, I got more friends that have overdosed than are alive. Yeah. You know. And Mike is sitting there at the, uh, Mike said, Jim, well, excuse me. We go to, we're down, downtown at a bar. Mike's sitting out front and he's sweating. Kids like this. And I'm like, fuck is this kid on mm. and he's like i don't fucking know i walk up to the kids just jacked i mean really huge okay i mean a beast the kid's short but i i'd never seen somebody even to this day that's that short and that jacked. but just friggin a monster and uh we i'm sitting i sit down and i'm like you know i'm impressed by the size of this guy first yeah. of all and i'm like fuck you on bro and he's like heroin and i'm like you look like shit man he's like <laughs> I don't feel like shit. <laughs> and I'm like, so anyways, okay, whatever. We, right. go to, we go to the, we go to another bar. We get into a fight. This kid, Mike, I just met him. Yep. He's out swinging on guys for me. Shirt, oh, shit. shirt comes off and all yep. of a sudden he's just rattling guys. And yep. I'm like, it's my boy now. That's my boy. So we go to house and uh, we're hanging out about a week later and he comes upstairs and we're, we're spending, we're back doing our cocaine. Okay. Spending hundreds of dollars a day. Yeah. Yeah. And he comes upstairs and he goes, he goes, uh, let me ask you guys something. You guys fucking blow all this money on cocaine. Why the fuck do you do that? And I'm like, I think we do it. You know, just fucking have fun. Right. Why wouldn't you try some some heroin or something? And I'm like, fuck that. He's like, dude, $15 will get you fucked up for two days. You never tried it. Last you a couple days. A welcome prospect a, to an addict. Get you a bag. It'll yeah. last you two days. Yep. And I'm like, 15, the fuck is $15 going to do? Trust me. So, nah, I, I'm not doing it. So, over at me and goes, I'll try it if you try it. Well, leader, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm in. Out to the truck he goes, brings the shit upstairs. Get ready. We dump it on the table. He looks at me and he goes, you're only going to try this one time, right? Oh, Jesus. I said, yeah. Don't fucking tell nobody. Famous last words. Listen, if you're going to try it one time, then do it the way it's meant to be done. It's meant oh, to be shot up, Jesus man. Jesus Christ. You're going to sniff it. You're always going to have the curiosity of what would that be. Mm -hmm. I'm not, buddy, I'm not, hell no, I'm not touching that. He goes, why? He goes, when you go to the doctor and he draws blood, do you find that disgusting? I said, no. He goes, why? It's a brand new needle. He knows what he's doing. He's like, well, I'm going to give you a brand new one. You can open the package yourself and turn your head. It's a fucking poke. It's going to the same place either way. And I'm like, Jim goes, I'll try it if you try it. So this is the guy the 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 muscle bound guy Mike saying yeah. these things yeah okay I was gonna say if it was saying those things I could see why he's such a hell of a deal closer no <laughs> you should have hired Mike at your no. store to sell cars so so Mike ends up uh, I tried it it's over from there yeah and uh, all of a sudden took a back seat and it's me and Mike mm -hmm. right and I'm out to Mike's house and one thing led to another and I had been through so many friggin' circumstances and places that were you know sleeping in roach infested houses and. Uh, in the middle of the west side, uh, uh, buying an air mattress. And, you know, these people that are living in there, you know, I know have AIDS. Yep. And they're, you know, there's fucking needles everywhere in this house. I had to walk where I walked and watch where I walked. It was just, you know, and just put myself in some crazy situations. And, you know, walking through, going to the east side and walking into the buildings. And I remember Mike telling me, listen, when you go out in, keep your, keep your eyes straight ahead. Don't look at anybody. He goes, because, you know, you're somebody else's money. They won't Westmoreland? They won't touch you. I'm on... Uh, you said on the east side? Westmoreland where the gates are. The bricks? Yeah, no, nah, it's right on top of the hill. Okay. All the black gates? Yes. 
uh, right behind, uh, if you get off Teal Ave, go, not Teal, it's, uh, yeah, it is Teal. Teal make, teal. A, teal make a right, yep. up to the east, make a left, yeah. right up there on the left. Yep. I walk in there, and there's guys in there with bulletproof vests on. I, I used mean, to cop three blocks from there. Drug dealers got bulletproof vests on the whole bit, yep. man. And it's just, you want to talk about intimidating. Yeah. And, you know, shortly short, shortly thereafter, I'm going there by myself at 2 o'clock in the morning, going through the back door, going up through hall, just crazy. Isn't it amazing, the progression? Ah, oh, dude. It really is. And, and I, um, I'm i going to chime in here for a minute because there's so much synchronicity between what you're saying and what I experienced. I, I can't even remember how many things I drew parallels with as you were talking, but I just I just kept, you know, and if we ran back to camera foot, footage and you watched my facial expressions, there was about 20 of these. And it was because there were so many things that were that I drew parallels with and what you just said, for instance, where, for instance, you know, that, that somebody was uh was a, a salesman and how they closed you on do, using the drug at first it, you know here we sit right with two very successful guys that have two very very colorful backgrounds right the lowest of the lows and then to some of the highest of the highs no pun intended regarding the drugs but the the the, the rooms that you put yourself in the places that you put yourself in it's a wonder that you're here it's a wonder that you're alive myself included yep. it's really quite insane People that are, it's, and it's so, it's always amazes me how cavalierly that somebody like yourself or myself talks about these past experiences. So there was this and there was that, and then we shot it and then we sniffed it and then there was this and it felt that way. And then we ended up here in the course of, you know, 10, 15 minutes of conversation just now, you went from a guy who, excuse me, was working in his dad's garage to a guy that was in a heroin den in a shooting gallery in Syracuse, stepping over AIDS infested needles, broke with no future, right? Yep. And Rob, I think that's because guys like us, no matter what we do, we do it to the absolute fucking extreme, right? Yep. There's no middle ground for people like us, man. There's just not. And that's why sometimes it's so laughable for me when people make comments like, you know, you're so lucky to be so successful and you're so lucky to have the muscles that you have and you're so lucky to have the house that you have. And, you, you know, I, I could go on and on and on. But if these people you know, had to go through what people like us have had to go through to get to the places that we're at, they wouldn't want it. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. I you just, know, I just sat in a sales meeting the other day and said the same thing. Yeah. I said, listen, all that glitters is not gold. 100%. If you, if you knew all the things I've sacrificed to get to where I'm at, yeah. it, even if I gave you the opportunity to do it, most of you wouldn't no. do it. No. You wouldn't do it. No. And the, and the thing is, most isn't even the word none none is the word okay and if any of them 10 years from now become millionaires and their own business owners then then you can maybe change change that statement but truly none of them and it's because it takes a certain level of insanity i believe okay um it takes a certain level of disconnection from what most people would consider a normal train of thought you know normal way of of, of uh, you know how how the mind works to, to be able to make peace with walking into a crack den and freebasing cocaine as a, a guy that grew up the way you grew up, right? But what brings us to that point are these things that we spoke so cavalierly about previous regarding our childhood, okay? There's one thing that I learned about myself, and, and I always like to speak on personal experience because I never like to project you know, my thoughts or the way I feel on anybody else. But I can tell you this. Everything that I've been through in my life that has been drug-related, okay, anything that has been related to altering how I feel or trying to induce a synthetic euphoria 
has been to cover up a pain from the past, right? I remember sitting in, in prison and, you know, slowly the toxins are working out of my body as I sit in the jail cell and I go to the weight pit and I try to just sweat this shit out and try to get some sort of normalcy back into my body, some sort of, you know, chemical balance. And these emotions, just this rush of emotions are coming to me. I'm, it's three o'clock in the morning. I'm snapping up out of bed, you know, sound sleep. I'm snapping up out of bed, covered in sweat. And I just begin to bawl like a little baby crying, like, like a, a kid that just got his favorite binky taken from him. And there's just memories, almost like a, a flashback scene in a bad eighties B flick where all these things from my childhood are running past through my head. And no wonder that I was so driven to find a substance to try to make those feelings go away, right? Um, and I, I always believe, ever since I was able to find sobriety or, or a path to sobriety, I always believed that it was the pains of my past that brought me to use those substances. Because, you know, later on in life, when I've, you know, forgiven and when I've mended fences and when I've uh, understood the malfunctions of my parents' character, the malfunctions of my character that brought me to have such a strong desire to alter my, my state of mind, you know, until I came to terms with why those things were what they were and how they came to fruition, um, I, I was still had the desire to use the drug, right? But now in this later part of my life, when I've forgiven them, when I've moved past it, when I've said, listen, these things are in the past. There's not a fucking thing I can do about it. I can either choose to be a, a bitch-made wine-ass and and reflect on the woes of my childhood every day and you know do my drugs and not progress in life and, and tell everybody that my excuses are because I had a terrible upbringing and terrible parents and all these things. Or I could say, okay, nothing's going to change that. It is what it is, right? That, that's the, nothing I say or do now is going to change what happened in the past. So what am I going to do now moving forward? What is my choice now? Am I going to sulk or am I going to push forward? Am I going to try to get better? Am I going to try to create some sort of future for myself? People don't understand what it takes to accomplish what somebody like you has accomplished, okay? Um, they, they, they just don't. You know, it, it, it's, it's really frustrating sometimes as a business owner for me uh, when you get, you know, people, uh, com people give comments about how, you know, it must be nice or, you know, it, it, it must be, you know, what you have. And, and you know what I'm referring to, right? I, lack of, of better verbiage, but the people that hate on the success that people like us have experienced because they, they believe it somehow came easy, right? It's incredibly frustrating. So, um, I just want to tell you that I sincerely appreciate everything that you've just spoken on. The reason why is because it takes a lot of fucking balls, man. It really does. Because here we brought you in the studio as this pillar of the car business, as this you know business mogul, as this, uh, this celebrity figure who's created this excellent success and this, this brand that is just fantastic. But you just took us through a journey that I think probably jerked tears in some people that were listening to it, instilled fears in others, and hopefully some others in the audience were able to resonate with you know draw some inspiration from because they've had similar experiences yeah. let me ask you this question what do you think and how to phrase this question but given that you've you've gotten through all that okay yeah. what do you think is the most important thing that somebody should take from your story okay when i'm referring to the chemicals specifically okay moving forward into the fact that you've been able to create the level of success that you have what is somebody in the audience that might be struggling with the same thing that you went through what what could you tell them to help them get to the other side 
got to reach out and ask for help. Okay. That's it. That was one of my biggest things is, you know, that isolate. I'm an isolator, right? But it was, uh, you know, I can only speak. I, I, don't, I don't know what the advice I'd give. It depends. Everybody's in a different place. Right. Okay. And, and you're not going to stop until you want to stop. Okay. Until you're tired of being tired, sick and tired. And there's nobody that's going to stop you. And I'm speaking to anybody else that's listening that as far as family members and things like that. You know, one of the biggest things for me, my mom and dad always picked my pieces up. Yeah. You know, I've been through six rehabs through my 20s. Okay. They'd always, you know, I, I can go out and make $100,000 a year selling cars, like, and pick my pieces, you know, but they'd always, they knew I was capable of making good money. Right. So they'd always be right there, fix the credit up, do all their things, right? And until I had gone into probably my fifth trip, met a cook there that ended up being my sponsor. Okay. He's still a friend of mine until today. Okay. And, uh, he had a car dealership shirt on. He had a logo on his car dealer. You know, his brother owns a car dealership, a franchise locally. Okay. And uh, so how'd you get that shirt? Obviously, we, we sparked it off. This person ended up being the guy that would pick me up off the floor. I mean, I'm dead on the floor. Broke, puking everywhere. This guy would make his way into my house through a window, whatever he had to do. Come on. Mom and dad called me and told me what was going on with you, man. They haven't heard from you in days. Let's go. Get up. I'm not kidding, you know, going through that. And right. the, guy would, the guy would literally scrape me off the floor and bring me into a detox. And I've been, you thought I've been through six rehabs. Imagine how many detoxes I've yeah. been to. Yeah. So, uh, you know, and he it got to a point, he sat with my parents and one of my last trips, not my last trip, one before my last trip, sat with my mother, father, sister. They all read letters to me and everything else. And at that time, he convinced them that they had to let me go. And then it was time to just like a kind of an intervention then it was an intervention. Okay. But they had to let me go and let me go do what I had to do, you know? And, you know, they basically said, listen, a year from now, we don't want to hear from you. You know, a couple of years, you get your stuff clean. Maybe we'll talk to you kind of a thing. Right. And, uh, they truly meant what they said. How did you receive that? I didn't believe it. You know, they were always there to help you before condition, you know, right. bullshit. I'll get, let me get mom away from this dude. I'll straighten that out. Let me divide and conquer. That's right. Yeah. So he convinced them of that. They were very intent with their with their actions after that moment. Yeah. And uh, my problems became my problems. And until they handed me my problems and let me deal with them, uh, was I, at that point, was I, the, the start for some change was able to happen. It was incapable of happening. I couldn't, I couldn't fix it because they were fixing it for well, me. Well, it became real, right? It became real. And they dropped me on my head more or less, and I needed that. Yeah. And, uh. But you so, hated him for it at the time. Oh, sure. Of course Fuck I did. you, you sons of bitches. Oh, fuck yeah. You're abandoning me. You fucking me. did it to me. I fucking was a little kid. We lost everything we have. I'm the way I am because of what you fucking did. Yep. I used to clean fucking tissues out of your car and blah, blah, blah. You know, I dropped everything on him. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's they made my problems my problems. And again, that wasn't the end for me. And, you know, I'd always get into that four to six months, go get a job, get a little car, get a new car, get my little things. I get enough to get my apartment, get another yep. apartment. Get rolling. Get furniture get going, good. get a car. Yep. As soon as I get, as soon as everything's good. Get bored. Just do just one. I can do just one. Just one. I'm good. Just going to do one tonight. That's it. No more tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, so that's my, I, I would say that to, to anybody. Obviously, you know, it's hard for people to connect to people that are still in the gutter. To be able to look at somebody successful and go, listen, I know that guy was an addict, but still, it's it's I'm different. Um, I can assure people of one thing, man. I'm the core of me, right? I'm I'm not that guy today, but at the core of me, I am that guy today. At the core of me, I am an addict. 
okay? I will always be an addict to the day I die, okay? I have thoughts that go through my mind on a daily basis. I taste it. I can feel it on a daily basis. I wrestle with these things. Um, it doesn't always have to be a wrestle. Maybe I'm using too strong of a word, but I contend with it. It is a, it is a part of my life. It is something that will never go away. Um, but it's one of my biggest strengths as a, as a person. Forget being a business owner. It's one of my biggest strengths as a person because I have perception that you can't buy. I've seen it from both sides of the tracks. I have compassion for people in those situations that a lot of people don't. They write off. Um, I'm a guy that gives second, third, and fourth chances. Um, I, I, hire, I hire addicts. I hire people. I don't hire people that are getting high actively, but I give people chances, and I get shit on sometimes. But I can smell it a mile away. I know when they're fucked up. I can see it in their eyes across the room. I know what's up. But it allows me to, and I know that I hope that someday when I hang my head up and I'm, you know, I hope that there's a lot of people, and I think that there will be, a lot of people that I have inspired, that have been able to, employees that have worked for me, that I've brought on, given those chances, and that, you know, whether they turn their life life around or not, um, you know, I got a lot of friends, a lot of people that have known me from nothing, and they're they still to this day, man. There, there's some people that are that they're happy for you. There's yeah. people that are really fucking happy for you. Yeah. And they know where you came from, and they're like, dude, I'm fucking proud of you. Yep. People that don't have shit. Yep. And they're still proud of me for what I did. And they're like, dude, I'm fucking so proud of you. Yep. And I have some of those people in my corner, right? But it's I didn't go on and on. But to your question, yeah, it's uh if I can do it, it's cliche. If I can do it, fucking anybody can do it, man. Six rehabs, you know, a 50 bag of hair, 50 bags a day heroin habit, you know, counselors telling me thinking I'm bullshitting. Yeah, you know, yeah, for real. They didn't oh, believe I, me. I dealt with uh, that too. You don't have to. You don't have to. Whatever they call. You don't it. have to embellish. Thir- nobody does thirteen roxycodone thirties in for an real? afternoon. Well, when I do ten at a time, the other three are just to keep the buzz yeah. going. That's not possible. You'd be dead, and you're like. Oh man, you're fucking. It's not true because oh. I am. Matter of fact, I can do ten in front of you right now. I know exactly what you mean. It's crazy, but it's if guys like us can do it. Yes, I fucking mean that to the core of me. It's if 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 fuck. I mean, if I can do it, anybody can do it. It's that it's that demeanor right there, Rob. So, and I want to touch on that right now because it, you're you're sitting here and your 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 eyes are rolling back. And you're going like like. Jesus, like, guys, if I can fucking do it, anybody can do it. And the reason your demeanor is that way is because it, everything that you're saying and, and putting out right now is coming directly from your fucking soul, okay? And I know that because I've done the same thing. I've sat in a room full of people that are looking for motivation, right? Yeah. And these are addicts, and the, you know, in the rooms. And they're, you know, well, how, how, how do you go from, you know, you say you had this habit and that habit and this. Dude, you're, you're, a, you're a millionaire. You've got car dealerships. You've got a fucking 6,000 square foot house you want me to really actually believe that you slept under in bridges with fucking cocaine falling out of your nose and oh yeah you do hear that oh absolutely and i look them back in their eyes and i say check me out bro research me ask about me go find somebody that hasn't talked to me in the past seven years ask them about me they're gonna tell you i'm a thief they're gonna tell you i'm a cheater they're gonna tell you i'm a scumbag they're gonna tell you that i will rob drugs from a drug dealer come back to the drug dealer, apologize, manipulate that drug dealer so bad, I'll get him to give me 20 bucks for gas and front me another $200 worth of drugs, and then I'll shit on him and steal his car. That's who the fuck I was. 
But they don't want to hear that, Rob. They don't want to hear that because then they have to be accountable, right? They get so angry when you say these things to them because, and, and I mean no angst towards them, but this is reality. These people get angry with you because they're looking at you and they're like, okay, so based on what he's saying, he's got knowledge of, of, of that lifestyle. So he really did do these things, especially when it comes to prison. You know, you start talking to lingo, you share with them your DIN number, uh, and you talk to people that you've met that they know and that they've met in reception and things like that, corrections officers and, and you know, and group leaders and stuff like that. They're like, okay, he's the real deal. He's, he's really been there. And then they stop and they, they just, they become, they get angst and they become angry and they, they have, you know, uh, aggression and, and anger towards you because you've then inadvertently held them accountable. Okay. So there's, there's two ways that this thing can go for people that, that view a show like this or that see an interaction like this. They can either become inspired. They can become hopeful they can realize that positive change is absolutely possible for them if they want it. Keyword, one thing you said, you got to want it. You got to be ready. You're never going to go to an addict that's actively using and sees nothing wrong with it and then take them back from the depths of hell and bring them to the light. It's just not going to happen. If they don't see the problem, if they don't realize the hole that they're in and the fact that they're this close and they're skirting death every single day, you're not going to save that person and bring them back. You got to wait till they're flat on their face. You got to wait till their dicks in the dirt. You got to wait till they're looking around going, okay, there's really pretty much nothing left. I'm barred from every store. I can't boost anymore. No dealer will sell to me because I owe everybody. I'm fucking on E. I haven't fixed up in two days. I'm withdrawing. I'm shitting myself. I'm throwing up. I've got back aches. Fuck, this is it. This is the one I'm done. This is rock bottom, right? So these people get angry and they say, all right, well, if, if, if Rob Senecal can go to that place and now sit here in, a, in, a, in an expensive shirt and nice clothes with his new vehicle outside with his two car dealerships and his how many employees? Almost 100. 100 fucking employees, okay? This is a guy here who used to shoot up fucking drugs in dens and now employs and manages and inspires 100 people. A hundred people answer, the, to the, answer to this man. He provides Christmas bonuses for them. He provides them a great work environment, benefits, and more importantly, a job to do, a place to go earn money, okay? This is the same guy that used to be enabled by his parents and beg drug money off them, and they had to wipe his nose and his ass and take him to rehab, okay? So if that's not a paradigm shift, I don't know what is. If, you're, if you can't draw inspiration from that, I, I don't know. I got nothing for you, okay? I may as well shut down the show and pack the fuck up because that is a rock star tale of going to hell and coming back, okay? Um, they know my story, okay? Um, you know my story, much of my story, okay? And it, it draws along a lot of the same lines. You know, I, I cannot tell you how many times I was beaten across the face and had cold water dumped on me to bring me out of the fucking the, the, the high that I was in where I was slowly drifting off to death, purple lips, lungs not moving anymore, girlfriend kicking me in the nuts and waking me up, slapping me across the face, screaming at me, calling an ambulance, getting the Narcan ready, okay? If, if I can go from that place and get to here, then certainly somebody can go from getting high to sobriety, right? If, if nothing more. But the fact that you've been able to accomplish what you have, that should inspire people more than any motivational video, okay, more than any fucking Hallmark movie, <laughs> more than any award show, more than any pretty cute little speech that somebody can give on primetime TV or YouTube, because this is real, okay, and that's what this show is about, and I'm so thankful that you came in here today to share that with us, because you painted such a vivid picture. I mean, normally I'm the one doing the most of the talking on this show, but I, I just, I, I enjoyed just sitting back and listening to that. I'll be honest with you. There, there was some times where the hair stood on, on end on my forearm because it brought me to some very dark places. 
you can't listen to somebody recall addiction and the stories of addiction if you are an addict without going there in your own mind and without um, you know reminiscing about the feeling and the behaviors and you know all of the the nuances that come with it the negative and the positive you, you just can't you can't listen to that without doing that so you got, um, a, you got a minute 100 percent, bro gotta got got let me round my story off though. hit, hit me kind of you know because it's and i'll and i'll, I'll kind of keep this brief though so the heroin addiction you say whatever's necessary bro the heroin addiction we're 12 13 years deep okay, okay? it's a back and forth rehab the rehab the rehab the rehab Long story short, I'd get into, uh, I get into my my fifth trip, and I go there, and counselors know me. They're the same counselors to deal with me every time. And uh, he looks at me, and he goes, listen, you're going to do some things differently this time, or you're going to do it your way. Go out and make money again. And just, if you're lucky, if you get back here. Now i got to do it my way. All right, go think about it. You're going to end up back here if you're lucky. I go out in the community. I think about it for a week. I go back, and at that time, I don't know what made me think this way, but I'm like, you know what, I'll do whatever you guys recommend. I end up on a... End up living in, in, in the hood in a, in a three-quarter house. And, you know, I got to check in at night and everything else. They tell me, get out of the car business. You can't make a hundred grand a year and live in this community. Humble yourself, get out of the, get out of the car business. I end up getting in, involved in an AT&T situation. I'll explain that to you. It was a whole long situation. Long story short, I was selling so much. And <laughs> you touched on that. I told you that. <laughs> I was selling so much. They were paying me time and a half, a hundred dollars a day to not come to work. It was a third party company that was working for AT&T yeah. to add lines of service to their account. And I found a way to work the system. Yep. So uh, the people that ran the program knew it. They need, they wanted me just to fill their, fill their coffers when they needed it, but leave. They didn't want, their, they didn't want red flags up. This guy's selling 90 lines a month and the top guy below him's 30. So when they needed 40 to make quota, they'd call me up. Come on, need you for a couple of days. Yep. So I go in and do that. I got free time in my hands. I go get a job delivering pizzas. So I'm standing there. I'm in Mario and Salvo's pizza shop. And in comes Mr. Caprera. Yep. He's on TV. He's he's the, he's he's the same man. thing I do. He, he did. Yep. He's on TV. He's doing his infomercials, half-an-hour TV shows, the whole bit. I'm starstruck. I walk up to pizza bags in my hand. I'm like, oh, he's the guy from TV, blah, 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 blah. I'm telling him, giving him my whole resume. Yeah. I ended up going outside in my car. I had a nice, still had, had a nice car that was a leased car. He comes out and he goes, you're delivering pizzas in that car? And I'm like, yeah, it's got to do what I got to do. Give me his card. And he goes, you want to get back in? Let me know. Fast forward the tape. I fall on my face again. Mm-hmm. All fucked up again. Um, I need a job. I drive up to his dealership. Uh, he ends up giving me a job. Uh, at the time, long story short, the place is selling 60 cars a month. He just bought the place. And at the end of the day, it was doing 250. But it allowed me to, you know, that was the first person in my life that, that let me know that I could, he gave me the confidence that I could have what he has. And the reason is because I worked for other car dealers that, you know, their, their kids would come in with the best looking girls and big boat off the back of the back of the truck. And yep. I mean, that was, the, that was the whole different level. They, yeah. they don't really associate with you. And when I went up to work for this guy, a whole different ballgame up north. Okay. And uh, he's bumming cigarettes from me. He's outside. He's talking to me. He's bringing me to his office. He'd bring me in and show me how he's buying cars. He'd let me sit down and listen to him negotiate deals. And this guy has a wallet. Like, you have no idea. Right, right. So, I mean, when he says, he, and he's like, listen, Robbie, I'll take every car. That's the, that's the magic. When they call you and they offer you 50, most dealers are saying, oh, I'll take these. I don't need any white ones. He goes, I take them all. But I hit him with an offer. I get the first phone call because he knows I'll take the whole thing. Yep. Never try to split a package. Take them all. And I watched the guy and he took me to auctions with him. And, I, and, I, and it, for me, I know this guy owned like eight car dealerships multi multi-millionaire and i started the you know i'm a good salesman i sit and i'd listen to him sell and go 
I could, I could do what this guy does, no problem. Yep. Um, all I need is the connections and the money. And I can be, I could do what this guy does. This okay. is a real human being doing this. Yes. There's yes. nothing, this guy's got no, this guy was, oh, this is, this is a real dude. This is real. This yep. fucking guy's doing it, man. Yep. And I'm watching how he does it. Yeah. And it's all cape, it's all possible. I so was this a turning shit. point of your life? It became real for you. Big time. Yep. You saw a real human being doing larger than life things. Damn right. And you're like, this is the fucking guy that came in the pizza shop. Yeah. This guy eats pizza just like me. I ended up, yeah, I ended up working for him and they claimed GM claimed I was one of the top five reps in the country. I had, uh, I was selling 70 cars a month and consistently I was m- murdering it, killing it. And, uh, non-fleet sales. I had a personal assistant, had, some, you know, a lot guy. I had, you know, my own staff inside of this guy's dealership yep. and he let me start buying a couple of $800 trade-ins. I'd buy the trade-ins, I'd put them on front yards. We'd fix them up. I'd double my money. Yep. I'd buy a couple more. Can I buy a couple more? It ended up I had 26 employees, and I'm still working my day job. I had two small stores. I'm still working my day job <laughs> round the clock, man. Yep. But the, back to the addiction part, when I, when I cleaned my life up, I did this with okay. my work. I needed to replace the addiction. Right. Okay? Yep. So I would not be where I am today if I weren't an addict. That's the truth. I would not be successful. I would not be a multimillionaire, whatever you want to call it, mm-hmm. if I was not an addict. Okay, so my, my addiction is much of a blessing to me. Tell them why, Rob. Why? Because it gives me perspective. Um, it, 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 it gave me a drive. You know, it, put it like this. When a guy has to do what I had to do to achieve his drug, to keep his drug habit rolling Bam. every day. That's what I'm looking for. Period. Yep. We, we know how to talk yep. different. We know how to manipulate. We know how to maneuver. We know... Okay, I've let enough pressure off mom for a few days. Her turn. Go back over to this one. Dad, okay, he's got I got him fooled. He's cool. I mean, it's like literally playing a friggin' chessboard all day long. Yep. And you just know, you know, you have your cachet of people in your life, and you know you know their tolerances. You know how to push the button. And when you learn to operate like that, it gives you a whole different gear, man. Yeah. Now, once you give the drugs up, you could channel that energy into positive things. Yes. And when I channeled that energy into positive things, it was very unhealthy for me. Yeah. And even then I fell down. Three years in, I'm killing it there, selling a ton of cars. Kid comes in and we started, made friends. I'm in, I end up in New York City. I'm just going to party a little bit in New York just when I'm out of town, uh, which I, we know that doesn't work. Right. And, uh, you know, so long story short, you know, this is not for me. It's this, okay? Um, you know, it's not been an easy road for me. Um, I've achieved a lot of success in between. But, but you know, it's not it's not been perfect. And I was talking to you before, you know, and I, you know, we talk about alcohol. We talk about a reservation. Alcohol was never a thing for me, you know. And in the back of my mind, I'm not an alcoholic, man. I'm really a drug addict. Yep. You know, and, uh, you know, so I end up going on a vacation, having, some, you know, a couple drinks and left it at that. But long story short, it's just, you know, even with that, I could see, how it would manifest it bothered you and i have the ability to go okay i can play the tape through yep i can see where this is going to land me you know it's just the ability so in a nutshell man it's something we're always going to deal with but like i said man so one of the biggest things but i i uh i embrace the fact that i'm an addict um all my employees know my story mm-hmm. i'm very vocal about it yep um and i think it's a very powerful tool for me to motivate absolutely and you know i'm we talk about the success thing luke and it's like this 
once you get to that point, all the things that I thought that I wanted, right? All the things that I thought that money could buy me and all those things. Once you have the money and you have that, those things aren't so important anymore, right? Mm -hmm. Then it becomes about security. It's not about the money. I, I tell my people that every day. Listen, I take a paycheck out of my store. For me, I use the word freedom. It's freedom. Yep. You're buying yourself freedom so that I can do what I want on my own terms. Yep. Okay? And that's really what it is. And it's not about, you know, for me, I live on a paycheck like my employees. Mm -hmm. I take probably less than I should. Okay. Um, I might have 20 grand in the bank. But in my personal account, yep. everything else rides with my stores. But I have no debt. My stores have no debt. I pay for everything. I, you know, um, I'm a fast bill payer. It's, I'm, I pride myself on that. All my vendors are, you know, I, I, I get preferential treatment because, you know, I pay. Because they get paid. Fucking right. Yep. You pay on the spot. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's, 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 a, it's a real, it, it hasn't come full circle yet for me. Okay. But, it, but, it's, but it's coming. For me, really understanding about it's For me, it's personal growth. It's becoming a better human being. It's learning how to appreciate the people around me. It's learning how to communicate with those people. It's learning how to adapt to change. It's learning that it's not Rob's world. This world is changing right now. Mm -hmm. You know, as a matter of fact, talk about humility. For me, I'm, you know, I'm spending a lot of time right now uh, studying and training on how to relate to the younger generation. Okay. You know, I could sit there and I could sit there and say, "Oh, it's fucking, you know, fuck, fuck them. They don't want to work. They're lazy to this, that." Listen, they are the generation, and if I don't learn how to connect to this generation, I'm going to get lost. Can I talk to my audience for a second? Yeah. Okay, because that's very important, right there. And this is something that I want. I want to drive directly home with them, and this is exactly why I bring folks like you on. Okay. Yep. Rob just said something. He said that he's spending time and money right now, and I always tell my audience, personal development is the best investment, right? Yep. Any money that you have left over when the bills are paid, aside from what you want to save for your nest egg, for your new car, whatever the case may be, should be invested in personal development. Here's why. What Rob just said is pivotal, okay? You've got two different paths you can take, and he touched briefly on both of them. He said, I could sit here and I could piss and moan. I could say this millennial generation is a bunch of whine-ass, snot-nosed pussies. They don't know how to work. They don't want to work. They're entitled. There's all this gender ideology. There's all this political bullshit. All that's going to do is generate a higher blood pressure, more words that are ill-received by people who don't agree with you, and it's just going to frustrate you. Or you could take a left-hand turn, and say, I'm going to invest my money. And instead of bitch and run in the other direction, I'm going to dive right straight into it. I'm going to take my hard-earned money. I'm going to invest and learn as much about those people as I possibly can. Why, Rob? Why would we want to know about them? Because they're going to be. Because their money is just as fucking green as everybody That's else's, right. right? These people are customers, okay? They're going to spend money with your company. And regardless of what you choose to do from this point moving forward, let's say in a year, you say, you know what? I've had it with the car business. It frustrates the shit out of me. I'm going to sell my companies and I'm going to go into health and wellness, or I'm going to go into commercial real estate, or I'm going to go into uh, beverage distributorship. Doesn't matter what you do. People are dying every day and people are being born every day. And this next, next mass generation that's coming through that we refer to as the millennials or, or whatever label that you want to put on them, this next chunk of people moving through, these are the people that are going to be employed. These are the people that are going to be the consumers. And if you are not educated as far as where they're going to look for product, what kind of product they're going to look for and what they're going to be willing to spend on it, then you're you're at such a tremendous disadvantage to those that are. So 
when when people sit back and they wonder, geez, a guy a guy like Rob Senecal, how's he so cutting edge? How's he on top of things? How is he how's he always seem to be one step ahead? And why is he so goddamn successful? It's because when he meets something that he finds discomfort in, and I and I very much the same way. Okay, um, it requires me usually to uh, confer with others. I'll be honest about that. Some of the things that I think that you come up with, I think I don't come up with on my own. I think. I just know where to go to the right people to ask those questions to. But similar in nature, we're both looking for that information, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I've one of the realizations I've had to come to as a businessman is I really got to get educated and, and jump into the things that I don't like, okay? Um, Scott Friedberg in the studio, he's one of our producers, okay? Um, this is a guy that came into my business, I don't know, it was six, six years ago, Scott? Four or five years ago, okay, seems like sixteen, but about four or five years ago, I made a phone call. I wanted to get you know get going with social media. I was already behind the eight ball, right? Social media was already a force to be reckoned with. But I had started my companies. I had done the you know the basic put out the wand ads, put out the picture ads. You know, get with your car gurus, your car faxes. Craigslist was big at the time. Um, and I was selling cars, but I would walk through the mall and I, I couldn't get six feet without bumping into somebody that was buried in their news feed on their phone, right? So social media for me was just the next logical step. I, I have to do this. So I reached out, and although I've never been big on social media, you know, I like to post and rant and bitch and moan. It's like a little therapy diary for me, okay? Uh, most of it's political. <laughs> how, do you, uh, how do you feel about that with you? I thought about that. You do a lot yep. of political event there. Yes. How do you feel about that with business? Because for me, I've, I've found myself kind of, I'll write bedtime stories, yep. and then I erase them. Okay. Because I'm like, in every time, I don't know, man. I just feel like as a business person, I just, and listen, I'm, I'm off the cuff. So for me, I don't, I, you know I, where I stand, but with certain things, but it's just like, I don't know. I just feel like it's going to hurt me. I, I don't know. I don't want to screw the brand up. Okay. So I appreciate that question because I think you and I have two very different viewpoints on that. Okay. Um, I think that people, people know, I think generally what your political leanings are once they get to know you a little bit, I think that, I mean, I pretty much was able to sit down with you when we had lunch and I had a pretty good, probably 85% accuracy, pretty good idea what your political leanings were. Would you agree? Aren't most business people that own businesses? Exactly. Yes, you're you're exactly right. We're all on the same page. Okay. Um, and, And that's why it's so difficult watching things transpire or transgress the way they are right now in in this country, in the political atmosphere, because, you know, I talk to people that have different political viewpoints than me, and I welcome the conversation, and I feel like we could go so many different places with this right now. So my political viewpoints are generally right-leaning. They're more conservative, okay? I'm a patriot. Um, I believe you should be allowed to own a gun. Um, but then I have some things that are on the other side of the fence. I think a woman and under some circumstances should be able to have choice over an abortion in her body. You know, rape, incest, abuse, these are terrible things. And I can't, you know, I hear uh, radical politicians, you know, that, that are on the left side of things saying, you know, would you want to carry the seed of your rapist? And I, and I have to say no. And I wouldn't want right. my daughter to. I wouldn't want my sister to. Right. She was raped at a young age, and she, you know, had to deal deal with that exact scenario. So I have firsthand experience. And the people that say, "Oh, well, it's just it's either one or the other. It's you either have to, you know, be with God or not be with God." And I feel like, you know, I'm not over overly religious, and I'm really stepping on slippery ground right now. But I'm okay with saying what I believe. That's just who I am, Rob, and it's just who I've always been. And we might drop a hundred thousand viewers just because of these words, but I'm okay with that. 
because in my heart, I believe them to be true. I don't believe that someone should go out having cavalier sex and kill zygotes left and right. Like I, I, that's just, that's just evil. I don't, I don't think anybody can align with that type of thinking. Right. But I think even people who are extremely religious or have strong, extreme viewpoints on the topic, if you were to sit them and look in their eyes and say, listen, man, if your daughter was raped, would you force her to give birth and the pain of birth and all of the stress that surrounds the nine months of carrying a baby and force her to birth the rapist child, care for the rapist child, and then be attached to that rapist the rest of their life? I can't even see. I think a lot of people's viewpoints would change if they were immersed in the situation. Right. Does, that, does that make sense? Absolutely. I think everybody can stand on a soapbox and be up on a pedestal and have a strong opinion and, and virtue signal and, and call you out morally until all of a sudden they're slapped across the face when they get the phone call that their 11-year-old daughter was just viciously raped by a homeless person under a bridge somewhere. I think their opinion would change. I, I okay? would think. So when I talk about politics... I don't get really deep into it, but I certainly talk about what my what my um, moral feelings on, on the scenarios are. For instance, you said don't all business owners feel you know have certain political leanings? The answer is yes. Okay, with the exception of the few that like to virtue signal, right? The ones that like to appeal to a certain demographic or to a certain culture or to a certain age group. So they say the things that they think that that group wants to hear. Right. But then when you go home and you put the hidden microphone under their dinner table, you get a whole different story, right? Um, so business owners generally, as a rule, I have seen are somewhat conservative in that they don't like regulatory legislation, right? They know that they own a business. And if they're a morally sound business person, they know that if nobody regulated them, they wouldn't hurt anybody. They would just do business. They would make the right decisions. If they made a mistake, they would make it right. If somebody came to them and said, hey, this machine in your assembly line is polluting the lake and it's killing baby ducks, they would go, okay, we'll fix it, right? And if you said, hey, this uh, Tesla that you're building, Elon, the auto drive feature is killing people in fiery crashes hand over fist. He, would, hand over fist. he wouldn't say, um, okay, well, it's a Tesla and uh, it's just going to remain. It's not, it's not the response you'd get. You get, oh, my dear God, let me get with the engineers. We'll get it fixed, right? Because business owners, and, I'm not, and this is not an all-encompassing statement. There's obviously, um, you know, exceptions to everything. But by and large, somebody who's been able to grow a business, build a business, maintain a business, be profitable, be responsible, employ people, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. These are people that usually have a pretty decent moral compass. They don't like to screw people over. They like to give people a good product and they like to treat them in a way that causes them to come back and, and you know, have repeat business. Excuse me one second. So the reason I think that business owners tend to have similar political leanings is because there are certain things that we have to do to be successful businessmen, okay? We have to operate with common sense. We have to operate with logic. We have to operate with compassion for the consumer, okay? And we have to operate in a way that protects our bottom line. For instance, okay, you've got people with different political agendas that say, okay, well, everybody should be, you know, or like the socialists, for instance, everybody should have X amount of dollars, the government should be empowered to take care of pretty much everything else. You should all have similar housing, similar things, similar money, similar everything, and everybody lives happily ever after, right? And then guys like you and I say, well, well wait a minute. 
that guy doesn't want to work. I want to work. He wants to just milk off the fat of the land. I don't want to do that. I want to create. I'd, I'd like to build stuff. I'd like to better society. And, you know, so that, so that doesn't work, right? Do I got to give half to him? Yeah, right? 100%. That, that, but that's what they'd like you to, to believe, right? Um, you, people who create, people who... Capitalism, okay, in the free market is, is something that I think that in my personal belief is really a... a it's, I don't want to say it solves all problems, but it's about the best happy medium that you can get, right? Because without the competition, there would no, there would be no advancements, right? When America became a, a democracy, when America moved into their industrial and technological revolutions, the tools, the products, the cars, the medical advances, the pharmaceutical advances, you went from people, you know, if they got sick with uh, chlamydia, they were dying, right? To now it's something that people laugh about and, and talk about in, you know, the back magazine of the porn mag or the back page of the porn magazine, right? And, and it's laughed off and treated with an antibiotic. But people used to die of something like that. Yeah. The reason that that drug was created or the reason that drugs are created is because pharmaceutical companies are in competition to create the next best product, which will allow them to outsell their competitor and make more money, right? So that pushes positive change, okay? And if you put a, a, a market together where it's just, okay, everybody's the same, doesn't really matter what you do, what you accomplish, you're going to make the same amount of money. Well, what type of motivation do you have, right? So I've gone a little bit off topic with this with this answer to your question, but the reason business owners all tend to align in their thinking is because they've had to earn it. That's really plain and simple. Right. They've had to earn it, right? They know what it's taken to get them from the bottom rung of the ladder to wherever they are, and they know that there's certain things that sound great, but they're they're just not. You can't execute. Some of the, you know what I noticed, some of the super wealthy, they get out of touch, though. A thousand they, percent they, they, they do. They tend to lean a lot more left. Yes, sir. You notice that? A hundred percent. They must be, you know what I'm saying? And a lot of times it's that. celebrities. But they don't certain, have to live in the real world. I'm good. Listen, I'm good with whatever whatever way you lean left, lean right. I don't give a shit how you lean. Right. Lay down, whatever you want to do. But the thing is, is it's some of the some of the shit that you'll hear is like, there's no fucking way people are buying that shit. There's no <laughs> way. And you'll get people that'll stand on that sofa. And I'm like, there's no, no, I know you. I know you're a smart person. I know that. There's right. no fucking way you're buying Give that. me an example. Give me an example. I can't even. But just a broad of, of what you're, you're speaking a broad, of. A broad example is like, uh, let me try to think. Uh, fuck. Um, where they're just completely, and I, I keep thinking of Facebook posts is where I see it all. I understand what you're saying. You see shit that's yep. just like. It's virtue signaling. Or uh, some of the things, obviously, you see the party, you know, our, our the Democratic Party right now that's in control doing are clearly, I mean, in my opinion, um, it, they divide, right? That's <laughs> clearly. Yeah. Uh, I can't, I'm, I'm coming a blank with you, but I mean, there's well, so I think, what, what about something like, uh, like, like the canceling the student loan debt, right? You got people that, um, you know, so here's the thing. If you oppose to, how about how about the the what you're talking about the the divisiveness, right? Um, you got student loan debt cancellation proposition, right? Okay, so here's what the general public sees: they see Joe Biden is going to cancel student loan debt for people that owe money on college loans. You or I would say, "Where the fuck are you going to get the money to do that, bro? Like, when are you just going to?" rattle the money tree and start collecting it in baskets and then go paying off student loan debt. Right. That money's got to come from somewhere. Wait a minute. Aren't we in a war in the Ukraine? 
Don't we have a crisis at the southern border? Right. Isn't fentanyl coming in hand over fist? You know, there, ooh, there's oh, there's other things at hand here that are like people have had to pay their student loan debt since the beginning of student loans. Do we really need to focus all of our efforts and energy right now on knocking ten thousand dollars off the hundred and ten thousand dollar bill that the you know the SU grad has from getting his bachelor's degree, or should we focus that energy and those resources elsewhere? So. For instance, somebody, what you were talking about with the virtue signaling on social media, you know, you say something like canceling student loan, like I'm giving you a hypothetical post. Canceling student loan debt is a bad idea. There's not enough money to pay for it, right? Then this is what the other side of the fence does. They go, oh, so um, you don't agree that it would be a nice thing if we gave people who um, can't, you know, can't pay those bills a break? people whose credit is suffering right now because, you know, they're an underprivileged. Then they go the minority thing, okay? They always always shit on the minorities. These are some of the hardest working people in the world. These are the people that get up at 5 a.m. and do the the early morning shift or they don't get home till 5 a.m. because they're doing the the graveyard shift. They're the people that come from rough areas, areas that are very difficult to live, very areas that have a ton of crime, yet they still get up, they still strap their work boots on, they still take the public transit, which is dangerous in and of itself, to get to the job, to push forward, to try to get better, to try to provide for their families. And, you know, that's got to be a hit to their pride. You know, oh, you can't pay for it. Now, so then then you say, okay, but would they welcome a $10,000 forgiveness on their student loan? Of course they would. Yes, they would take it. And would I want to give it to them? Absolutely. Don't you dare say that I'm some prick that doesn't want to help somebody that needs that needs money, okay? But you're missing the point. We don't have extra money. We have a deficit right now. Okay. That, and here's, okay. So now we're really getting into it. Now here's the flow that you were, that you were trying to get to as business owners. We know things like in order to spend money to solve a problem, you have to have the money to solve the problem, or you can leverage the purchase, but the benefit of what the purchase provide provides must exceed the original expenditure or exceed the original expenditure and then some to where you profit, right? This is basic business mathematics. It's simple economics, okay? So then you have a presidential administration that says, we're going to cancel the student loan debt, but we're going to add the tab to the deficit, which is the same, which is the equivalent of me saying, Rob, I'm going to go out and buy 16 wacky, waving, flailing, and tu- inflatable arm tube men, and I'm going to buy about 62 swooper flags, and I'm going to buy, um, yeah, like uh, 30 grand worth of TV time. We're going to do this crazy ad campaign. I'm going to run out there looking like Mario and Luigi from the Super Mario Brothers. going to be fucking great, bro. And you're like, okay, but did you just say you lost five grand last month? Yeah, but I'm going to take my Capital One card and every one of those places that's they're going to they take the Capital One card. So I'm I'm just going to put it all on the card. You're like, but Luke, aren't I mean, bro, aren't you already like up for curtailment on all your floor plan stuff? And you're not really selling a lot lately. I mean, aren't, aren't and don't you have kind of some conflicts with the DMV going on right now? And aren't you a little behind with the floor plan? And didn't you just bounce a couple? Say, yeah, 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 bro. But think about it. Who doesn't want wacky, wavy, inflatable, flailing arm tube men? And you're like, and, and so that's the comparison. You're like, Luke. I, I get it, man. All that shit is really cool and it's great and I support it, but you don't have the money to pay for it. And getting a few flailing inflatable tube men and a couple swooper flags ain't going to sell you a hundred cars this month. Right. You've only got 23 on the lot, right? That's the equivalent of a, of a country who's in debt, 
who has foreign conflict, who has internal conflict, who has divisive political bullshit going on, saying, you know what, let's add a chunk of money to the deficit and let's pay off student loans. And the only fucking reason they're doing it, not because they give a shit about helping people with, with student loans, okay? It's because it makes it look good for the political campaign. Makes it look good just before the midterms. It's the same reason that Joe Biden went to Saudi Arabia and begged them to increase oil production so they could lower prices right before the midterms. It's it's political, man. Totally. So there's no way people don't see through some of this shit. It's but there is, man. Unbelievable. Isn't it though? So like we sit here and hopefully some of this rubs off on the audience, right? I never like to be divisive, okay? And I never like to, you know, choose one side of the fence over the other. So so I don't do that, okay? But when you say the things, and this is just what I what I feel based on experience. When you say the things that make sense to you and you say the things that are logical, you get pinned as a Republican. You get pinned as a right-winger, right? When you say things like, Donald Trump is an asshole, he doesn't shut up, oh, yeah. that's, he, that's he, good. he tweets his ass off, he needs to stay the fuck home, let somebody, let Barron be the face of the fucking <laughs> the media campaign and just hide in a closet and handle negotiations, foreign affairs, economics, and policy. Because the gas prices that we had, I was perfectly okay with. The handling of COVID and the fact that we got a vaccine in you know, three months or whatever it was, and you know, don't explode in the comments, I'm just paraphrasing. The fact that we didn't have any foreign conflicts or major wars. The fact that we were able to step on North Korean soil and shake hands with Kim Jong-un and have lunch. The fact that China wasn't, you know, they were paying us to trade instead of vice versa. The fact that Vladimir Putin didn't annex any territory under the Trump administration. These are all very positive things. We were energy independent. Our gas prices were low. We were building uh, Alaskan pipelines. Our military was expanding. These are all policy things that were fantastic. Our country was in tremendous shape. So you say those things, and then someone goes, oh, you fucking Trumper, you scumbag, you racist, you divisive piece of shit. It's like, well, I never said I like Donald Trump. If the guy wanted to come in my studio and have a talk, would I do it? Absolutely, because I'll have a talk with anybody. I'll have a talk with the murderer just so I can understand how their mind works to try to A, build my network, and B, learn, okay? Because I'm always wanting to learn. But would he, would he walk in? Would I give him a hug? Would I bow at his feet? Would I tell him you're the best thing since sliced bread with my MAGA hat on, waving my Trump 2024 flag going? No, I'd have an intelligent conversation with the guy, and I would beg him to stay the fuck off Twitter, okay? Yeah. So... It doesn't, you don't have to be all here or all there, but it, it seems to me that when you base your opinions in common sense and logic instead of a euphoric ideology of a world that would be beautiful if it was, a fantasy world, if you will, you're pinned as a Republican. It's crazy. When I first met my wife, she was, uh, when to talk about switching gears a little bit, you know, we talk about media and all that stuff and how, how that really affects you. And I never really, never really bought into that. But, you know, when I met my wife, she's from Saudi Arabia, uh, came here at 18 years old, heavy accent. I mean, she's, she's legit. And uh, mom and dad are here. And, uh, you know, they're obviously um, full-blooded, right? So when I first met her, I, I sat down with them and I... I told her, I, I looked at her parents and I said, listen, you guys want me to be straight with you guys, right? And just be candid with you. <laughs> um, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I never really, 
you know, I, I, I want to say, I don't want to call it racism by any means, but I had my perception of Middle Easterners, you know, as a whole. And I put them all into one box, you know, and I told my wife, I'm like, Saudi Arabia, I'm like, I, I imagine, you know, you ever get guys running around, pickup trucks, machine guns on the back and stuff like that. <laughs> That's all I see in the media. Yeah, I know, but that's what the media shows you, so but it's perfectly understandable. That's what I assume Saudi Arabia is like. Right. And they're absolutely not. No, it's it's a completely different world. You know, we talk about Muslim, right? And that was the thing for me. It's like they're, you know, I, I assume the people that ran, blew the train into the, or blew world the plane into Center. the World Trade Center. Yep. Those are Muslims. Yep. So everybody else is in a box with that. Yeah. And but until, how, the, how about two of the nicest guys that we know in the car business, absolute gentlemen, that I would give my left arm for, right. Muslims, devout Muslims. Exactly. Yeah. So it, getting with her really, really opened my eyes to how much the media really affects us. Yeah. Um, my perception of completely flipped my mind. And what a paradigm shift for me is really just, I, I, you know, not taking things quite at face value so, so quickly. But... Uh, the reason I bring that up is when I went to her father, you know, at the time Trump was, uh, I forget what he was doing, but he, he was banning any travel from the Middle East or yep. whatever it was for whatever They called reason. it the Muslim ban. Muslim ban. And her father, I sit at the table with him, I hate Trump. And he's, he, and he's, he's resolute. This guy's just like on it. And I'm like, listen, it is what it is. I don't, you know, I'm not saying I'm a Trump. I don't give a shit who it is. I just like the stuff he's doing. Right. And, uh, you know, he was anti, but. He's voting Republican. Isn't that funny how that works? Yeah. 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 So here we are a couple years later. I'm in Arizona visiting a couple weeks ago. And he's like, I registered Republican. <laughs> and I'm like, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, yes, yes. Because, you know, down there, out there, it's crazy that that's a blue state. Because when you go there, yeah, everybody, there ain't, you can't move five inches without seeing something with. Well, Rob, I think there's a lot of states that that are on the political map as blue states, but and and we could get into the whole conspiracy of stolen elections and all that yeah, stuff, yeah. and but that's not a, an area that we want to travel down, and, and it's not something that I agree with or believe in. But I can tell you this: I can tell you that uh, things are not always reported accurately. Yeah. You know, when we get polls that say that a certain candidate is three, four points behind, and then they win by five or six points, like. The media is is without question, and anybody that doesn't see it can change the channel because you don't use logic. Yeah. But the media is so left leaning; it, it's insane. With the exception of Fox News, Fox News is a little crazy. They're nuts to the right. They're too far to the right. Yeah. No matter what the left does, they're just against it. It's like, well, wait, no, I think they had a good idea. Like, we, right. like couldn't we agree that we could do that? Maybe agree on that? No, it's yeah. like you know they could say a uh, uh, cherry tootsie pop is a, a good piece of candy, and I'm a big fan. You know, D Don Lennon could say that. And Tucker Carlson would be like, yeah, well, I saw a bunch of cherry Tootsie Pops killing old ladies this <laughs> afternoon. And you're like, dude, there's no fucking cherry Tootsie Pops killing old ladies, but right. they'll, they'll make a yeah. bullshit story up about it. Obviously, I'm embellishing, but the, the ridiculousness in which I just made that statement is about how ridiculous the polarity and the divisiveness of the media is, right? Um, why did he make the shit? It, it just totally sounds like a, a Republican grandstanding session right now, but we're talking about logic and common yeah. sense. Um, why did he switch Republican? What was his reason? I think the biggest thing for him was is they are they're allowing what they're doing at the southern border. Yep. You know, and these are people, and most foreigners feel the same way. Yeah, he had to it, fight his ass off and do they, it the right way, they right? Had to go through the process to do their thing. Yeah. Now all of a sudden we're gonna we're gonna allow Just people let them in over. the country. Listen, I'm cool with that. Let's right. go through the process. Go through the process. But the thing is, is you know, here's here's people that had to go, go and fight and do every inch of the way to get to where they are, 
and take people a get test, the run rate over. Pass a test. And the worst part about it is, you know, he's, it's, from my understanding, and maybe I'm misspeaking, somebody can maybe chime in on that, but, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm on a conversation with John Wilbur. Okay. From Trucks R Us. Yeah, yeah. Yep. I'm on the phone with him. He works down at uh, one of the stores down in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And he texts me, and uh, he's he was explaining to me about how the illegal immigrants there, they can come buy a car without a social security number. And the banks are buying the deal. What? With, with no social. And I'm like, how's that possible? You're he's fucking with me. Swearing my daughter. With no social. He's like, there's like five or six banks or whatever that actually do this. They don't need a social security number to buy a car. But you or I cannot walk into a car. What's the terms? What are they? I mean, they got to have like 50% equity or something like no, that. No, it's just, a, it's, he explained it to me. There's a name for it. But they buy him with no social security number. And I'm like, and I said to him, I said, that's nice. A guy like I couldn't walk into a car dealership and do that, and I'm a citizen. And he's like, ah, don't get political on me, but 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 you know, and then but right? That's, See, that that's, drives me nuts though. Frustrating that, that is the frustrating part. That drives me nuts. And that's that's part of what's going on. It's like, oh, don't get political on me. But well, wait a minute. I can't have an opinion. And that's the thing. The moment that you start to have a political opinion, you're now the enemy. Right, I, I I truly believe that everybody you, is so goddamn. You 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 know that there's somebody there's somebody that watched this podcast. Yep, that was like, oh man, that guy said it's a good story, and right now I'm a racist piece of shit in their eyes. Yeah, hundred percent, yeah. no doubt. I, I, I oh, what a success story, and right now I'm a racist. Even piece of though shit. moments ago you just said that you married a Saudi Arabian woman, full blood, right? That and that's that's the lunacy, Rob, that we're dealing with right now. And I wasn't going to get political in this, but you know what? It's Sometimes it's just necessary. Sometimes you just got to have this conversation, right? And I think that, you know, two guys that have realized the American dream, been to the fucking depths of hell, flat on our face, dick in the dirt, managed to scratch and claw our way back, support our families, support other people's families, practice much philanthropy. I know you donate a lot of money in a lot of your time. I donate a lot of money in a lot of my time. You take good care of your family. I take good care of my family. I help others. You help others. Look at what you're doing right here for me, pro bono. And this, You didn't have to do this tonight. You didn't have to let us into the deepest, darkest recesses of your past to try to help motivate people, but you did. So then my, my argument is then, how is somebody who's so pure of heart, so fair, so morally sound, so driven, such a piece of shit. How do you go from this guy is a pillar of society, he's somebody you should fashion yourself after, to he's a racist piece of shit? And then you ask the people, and they can't answer the question. Well, he said that the, uh, well, he, uh, but didn't he say that he, and then they, you know what I mean? It's the same thing. Uh, I'd, I'd, we'd have customers in the showroom during the, um, the, the election, and I was a fan of Trump over Biden. Biden scared me as a candidate for exactly what we're experiencing right now. And for those of you who are mad at me right now or saying I'm a piece of shit and I'm a Trumper and all this stuff, I'm not the biggest fan of Trump. I'm a Trump over Biden. That's what I am, okay? But if you go to my Facebook and you read back over the past two and a half years, two three years, I and I'm not saying this egomaniacally, it, the facts are there, go look them up. I predicted every goddamn thing that's happened. That I did, man. I said, if you have Joe Biden in, in the White House, you're gonna be filled with 
talky talky no action you're gonna ha- he's gonna focus on things like canceling student loan debt and it'll never happen and look at what happened they, they passed the legislation it got stopped there's a stay on it the supreme court's going to overturn it because it's unconstitutional then they're going to pass major spending they're going to call it i said this they're going to call it something like green energy or infrastructure or come back from covid but you're going to go through the bills and they're going to be earmarked with bullshit that does nothing but send money overseas have you the bipartisan infrastructure package have you read it no nobody has because it's ten thousand pages long and it was passed at fucking two o'clock in the morning but if you actually open that i've done cliff's notes research on it there are billions and millions and billions and millions that just overseas overseas gender studies in this country and um aiding the military effort over here and water uh you know tapping for natural water over here and this that and the third it's not about our fucking infrastructure infrastructure i don't remember the figure so i'm not going to say it and be wrong but it was a very low percentage of the money passed through congress to be spent in this infrastructure bill that was actually for roads bridges windmills and all that kind of bullshit it's it disgusting you, it makes you makes you think you ever drive through you ever been to california uh, I haven't been to L.A. I don't have any desire Skid to go back. Row. Do you ever drive a Skid Row? Um, Field of tents. Is that Van Nuys, like that way? Skid, Skid Row, I don't, I don't know. Skid Row. I, I, I know what you're know. talking about. It's like it's, a tent city. It's tent city. Yeah. When you drive through there and see all these people and how they're living and little kids living in these tents, I mean, literally cooking by a campfire and shit like that, when you really see that shit in the middle of the streets, yep. it, it gives you a whole other, like, well, what the fuck are we putting our money over here for? Why aren't we fixing our own problems in our own streets? That's the stuff that just mind blowing. And I'm like, how do we talk about how, how do people, how, how do people not, you know, we talk about the Hunter Biden, the laptops, you talk about all, all, <laughs> all that shit. How did that not get brought up? How is that? If that was a Republican. What about Tony Bobolinsky? Let me ask you this. Is it the, the Republicans? I start to get angry with the Republicans going, listen, it's not, it's not about Republican Democrat. It's about right, right, right and wrong. Right and wrong. There's no fucking way. This guy has all these business dealings. They got they got the president tied to it. Is anybody going to do anything about that? No. Because it's bought and paid for, Rob. Let me ask you a question. If you've got a laptop, okay, that's full of detrimental information about the, 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 the potential president's son, okay, and it's here and it's in your hand, okay, and your moments before an election that you know is going to make serious is going to be a serious deciding factor in the fate of the country and the direction that it travels over the next several years. How do you not bring that forward? And here's the thing: people are going to say, "Oh, well, at the time they believed it was Russian disinformation." Okay, so the people who were qualified to do the investigation at the time labeled it as Russian disinformation. Yep. After the fact, congressmen and senators reviewed it so that's bullshit brought it to the same specialists who retired for or brought it to specialists who were retirees from the same positions of the people that supposedly dubbed it as misinformation in the first place they said they clicked the lever and said i call bullshit this is real right. brought it back to that same party and said check this 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 and this and they went oh yeah it is real and then it was corroborated well after years after the president was elected and you're going to tell me that's not orchestrated okay but that's common sense that brought me to that conclusion but it's a conspiracy theory you know to anybody who's looking on because the media says the media they get out ahead of this stuff you ever watch the montage videos where somebody like um maybe maybe tucker carlson would be a good example or uh, laura ingram ingram on uh, fox news i watch them i watch see i watch everybody right 
rarely because I don't have a lot of time to watch TV, but when I do, I watch it full spectrum. And they'll put these montages together of certain verbiage that was given as talking points for a particular thing, right? For instance, the Joe Biden calling out Jackie and no disrespect to her family. I don't know the last name and it's a tragedy that she was killed and I'm sorry, but the, the Congresswoman or the Senator Jackie, let's say Jackie Smith. I forget her last name. I'm sorry, but it was, let's say it's Congressman Jackie Smith. Biden is doing a press conference about a bill that got passed. Excuse me. And he says, and I'd like to uh, say thank you for the bipartisan support from Republican Senator Bill, blah, 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 blah. Democratic Senator Steve, blah, 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 uh, Republican such and such, Judy Smith. And then um, and then we got Jackie. Where's Jackie? Is Jackie here? Jackie, you in the room? Uh, I didn't think Jackie would be here. Anyways, and then we got it. Uh, the woman had died a month and a half previously, and Joe Biden had made remarks and spoken on Twitter about her passing. Really? So the president of the United States of America was actively searching for in the room, a woman who had passed away. God. Okay. And he acknowledged that already. Uh, what's that? He already acknowledged the death. Previously. Oh yeah. Previously he was, he made a comment about right. it and how tragic it was and, and sent a message out to the family. So let's say for a moment that that's even possible to yep. make that gaffe. Okay. Well, we know it's possible. We watched it happen. Let's say for a minute that it might be likely. Okay. When responding to it, you would have to acknowledge, no matter what side of the fence you're on, you would have to acknowledge that that was a fuck-up, right? Peter Ducey from Fox News asked Corinne Jean-Pierre, you know, uh, or what, what, well, I think it was him first, you know, hey, Corinne, just wondering, what are Americans supposed to think about the mental uh, standing of their commander-in-chief when he stood in a room and called out for a deceased senator? Again, all respect to her family. Um, and she goes... Well, Peter, um, Jackie was top of mind. You know, at the time he was there speaking on a bill. And then, of course, she reiterates the words, a bipartisan bill, a monumental, a legendary, an awesome, an excellent, you know, making it sound grandiose, right? And then she goes, but uh, yeah, she was top of mind. And, uh, you know, when somebody's top of mind, that's, that's what you do. And another reporter says, you know, I hate to come back to this. But I got to ask for my channel, my viewers want to know, why was he calling out for a dead senator or congressman, whoever it was? Well, like I said to Peter, you know, I don't understand why you guys are having such a hard time grasping this. She was top of mind. Four more reporters asked the same question. Finally, she goes, I can't believe you people. You know, I, can't, I don't understand what's so hard. And then the one reporter chimes in, he goes, Corinne, I'm sorry, but I'm a big fan of uh, the Beatles and John Lennon is top of mind every day in my car, but I don't go around asking if he's sitting in the car with me because he's been dead a long time. And then you got some chuckles in the room. But as, as you know, satirical as that was or as humorous as that sure. was, that, those are the facts, right? They And so my point being, then they put a montage together, right? CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, um, you know, Reuters, Washington Post, New York, they, they, they took a three-second clip from every one of their nightly newscasts, and it was the, the, you go to reporter number one, and it was because Jackie was top of mind. Reporter number two, well, because the president had Jackie top of mind. Reporter number three, well, you know, we all have somebody top of mind. And it's like they're given talking points, and everybody's supposed to collaborate with that exact same talking point and use that exact same verbiage because they're trying to drill it home, right? They're trying to drill it into the minds of the of the viewer. So you see it universal amongst all the mediums of communication and then you accept it. 
I believe it's a tactic. It's, you know, everybody's going to say, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, but it's a tactic. And I believe that we deal with it every single day. And it's disgusting. Republicans got their own bullshit, too, I'm sure. Absolutely. They all got their bullshit. Bro, I, I could not, <laughs> I couldn't name one person in politics right now that I could tell you was as pure as the driven snow. Right. It's just not, it doesn't exist. Okay. And this isn't, this, this, this is not a divisive political conversation. This is not an I'm a Republican, I hate Democrats. It's not what this is. But I think we're just speaking to the fact that, and I've said this many times before, and I said this to a, to a guy just the other day, uh, Bob Natoli. He's a, a businessman. He, uh, he built Renovision, and he sold to Rent-A-Center many years ago. Um, he's got a few Guinness Book of World Records. He owns some gyms locally. Uh, I bought a house from him, and, and we, 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 we stay in touch, again, for the network, right? And um, we were having a, a political conversation, and he, and he goes, Luke, he goes, how come every time I talk to a logical business owner who's had to make their own way in this country they feel the same way that i do and it boils down to common sense and logic right when you view something when you have to make decisions every day with employees okay what's logical what's the common sense here what can i make make sense and what's fair that's the decision that i have to make vendor comes in i want to sell you this product okay is it logical what does my common sense tell me? Is this fair to everybody? That's the decision that I'm going to make. And then whether it's banks, whether it's legally, whether no matter what it is, you always have to take a step back. And we are commanded every single day to make decisions that are in the best interest for a large group of people that are logical because they have to be and that are rooted in common sense because you can't run a business by making decisions that feel good and, and are emotionally um satisfying right they have to be rooted in common sense so that's you know talking about you know that stuff you talk about business right and for anybody on the outside is looking at things you know that you know you know envies what you have or anything like that mm -hmm. it's like for me one of the biggest things that i would say is you know there, there's a lot of baggage that comes along with this stuff especially in the car business but you know one of the biggest things for me that if i could change anything you know couldn't be changed but we're the end decision maker, okay? We're the end of the road. And I have a lot of, lot, of, lot of things moving. And, you know, people are coming to me. You know, I have managers that have come to me. You know, it goes through the chain of command. You know, it goes to a sales manager, a general manager, and mm -hmm. it ends up to me. And I find myself having to make split-second decisions. That, that's my job. Yeah. And they have to be the right ones. So it got you where you are, Rob. But it can't, you know, I don't have time to go think about it. And there's right. a lot of times for me that I'm like, and I love, I, I I really think this stuff. I sit still and I'm like, fuck, man. I wish I had somebody to turn to <laughs> that I can just go. You you make that decision. Delegate that. Yep. It is probably, as a business owner for me, it's probably one of the biggest weights that I carry is the fact that there's on a daily basis, probably, you know, 10 to 20 decisions that I have to make within 10 seconds. Um, you know, and it's all on you. Yep. And, and if you fuck up, it costs money. It costs money. For me, it's just, uh, it, you're right, it costs money. And I've gone through so much and just, to, you know, just to like, talk about, you know, the vulnerability. But, you know, recently I've had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of shit happen where, you know, we're talking, I had embezzlement happen through my service department. I, you know, I, had, me, yeah. I had somebody embezzle quite a bit of money from me, um, opened a fake business, uh, started hitting my parts credit card or my service, you know, it was my parts card hitting my parts card for a lot of money. You know, I had a couple people come in and write fraudulent checks, certified checks from the bank, Jeez. get out of there with cars. Uh, I had somebody take my routing number, 
and they just got indicted for it. But they take my routing number, or the word indicted, but take my routing numbers. They imposed them on fake check stock and bought two vehicles, one at McGuire, and they bought another one at Camper World, spent over a hundred grand. Well, that, that check's got to clear, right? Yeah. I mean, that, the, the bank tellers cleared the check with no signatures on the front. The dealerships took it, and it made to the bank, and they cleared the checks with no signatures on the front. No, I get the money back, but it takes it to process. Right. That, that flipped my car. You know, I had, had a rollover in a, in a rainstorm. And uh, it was just a, one thing after friggin' another. But <laughs> the, the thing for me is, is like this, right? And just talk about the growth. But doing your job is easy, Rob. Yeah. yeah it, you, you got it made. Must be nice. Yep. <laughs> I hear you, man. The growth. It, 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 listen, it fucking is nice. Yeah, okay? it is nice. And I know a lot of people don't like to hear that. No. You're fucking right. It's nice. <laughs> you know, I, it, it is nice. Yeah, because you earned every goddamn penny of it. it that's it, why. I earned it. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot of work that comes with it. Right. But it's fucking nice. 100%. You're damn right, and I earned that. Yeah, and you know what? And I implore anybody out there listening that's saying, oh, it must be nice, or you're getting a good laugh in that it's so nice to have what you have. Yeah, I am. Because I earned it, and I'm going to tell you what, I strongly encourage you to go out, go through the same shit that I went through, climb the ladder the same way I did, work the same thankless fucking job to get the money started up to get into your business, work the same fucking 80-hour work week that I had to work, stay overnight in the building that you're painting, sleep on a fucking air mattress in the back room so you can be ready for the crowd the next day, start off with a metal desk and three cars and and go strictly on your reputation and your soul and your work ethic until you get four cars, six cars, eight, 10, 12, 30, 40 to 160. He's got fucking 500, okay? And if you're willing to go through all that, the sleepless nights, the stress, the time away from your family, the risk that nobody wants to take, they don't want to put $100,000 out there to know that if they made the wrong fucking buying decision that they could lose all of it yeah go through all that make the right moves succeed and yeah it is nice listen i it is nice right but the thing is is it's i don't know man for me everything rides and it's probably to at this point in my career to a fault okay what um, do you, we say everything rides help them understand what you everything mean. stays in the business yeah you know i pay myself a paycheck like my employees when it comes to, and don't get me wrong, listen, there's there's times we're going to go on a vacation, shit like that. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm using, I live like everybody else. So one thing I like to ask people when I bring them on the show, Rob, um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of people out there in, in you know, Hollywood, in politics, in business. Um, there's people that I draw a lot of inspiration from, okay? Um, Elon Musk, for instance. I'm, I'm a big fan of Elon Musk just because of, He's got a very succinct and common sense way of putting very grandiose ideas and thoughts, okay? Um, and, and there's several others. I'll, I'll, I'll keep it off of me because they, they know who I like. But who do you draw inspiration from? For instance, if you're going to go on YouTube and, and watch a video and try to you know, get motivated by somebody or – and this could be somebody locally that, that, that the audience doesn't know. Uh, more curious to know maybe somebody they can relate to that they know if, if such person exists – but who out there in the world is is somebody who Rob Senecal draws inspiration from? I can't really say that I have a something that I have a I have a go to for that. Okay. Um, you know the things I, I don't know if the word is inspire. Um, what I'm most interested in online, if you go to my like my reels in Facebook. It's all rappers and stuff. Okay. And it just, it, for me, rap culture, looking at these young, these young kids, these young kids in their 20s, carrying, I mean, 
wheelbarrows of money around with them and yeah. million dollar watches and all this kind of stuff. And it's just, to me, that's, it's fascinating. It, it's fa I, I'm, you know, you look at some of this stuff and you just go, where are these people going to be in five years? Do they have any clue? What they're doing, <laughs> man? And there's some, there's some of them that are real smart with their money. Yeah. You could tell like little babies could watch some of his stuff. Oh, I, I, yeah. Super interesting stuff. Yeah. Do it so, like baby. Yeah. I got to say that probably the one of most inspiration, my most recent inspiration is uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Okay. And if you go to Amazon Prime, you'll see uh, there's a documentary on him. Now, here's a guy that, you know, you ever watch We Own the Night? Um, remind me what it's about. Killer, killer movie. Was it Cops? Cops, and his dad gets, they're, they're coming after yeah, his yeah. father. He yeah. runs a nightclub. There's two brothers, right? He two runs brother. the nightclub. The yeah. brother's the, the, the ace cop, and the dad is the commissioner yeah. cop. Or, yeah, I've seen his it. His brother's the nightclub manager. Killer fucking movie. Killer movie. Yep. So, love that actor, right? Yep. You know, it's probably the most thing that draws me to that guy is he's got a... He's got a cleft a, lip. Cleft lip. Yep. But he made it that far with that cleft lip, right? So for me, that's like, damn, imagine the adversity that guy had to go through. <laughs> imagine how many people probably told him it's never going to make it because of your lip. Yep. And this guy's there. So, I mean, first of all, I, I, that attracts me to the guy. So I watched this. I watched this documentary, and I encourage you to watch this. Um, you watch this guy just falling on his face. And here's a guy that's an actor. One day he just made a decision. He said, fuck it, I'm done. I'm tired of people, you know, kind of went off the deep end. He's tired of people telling him where to stand, where to be. It's not a pure form of his art. He wants to express himself in his own form. And he gets on Entertainment Tonight or whatever in an interview on a red carpet one day and said, this is going to be my last act that I'm doing here tonight. No shit. He goes, I'm done. And, you know, Hollywood's in an uproar. No way. This guy's bullshitting. He tries to rap. He wants to be a rapper, and he sucked. <laughs> and he's getting like he, he's, and this is real footage. Okay, and it starts out with him. And you, if you watch this man just completely fall on his face and make an ass out of himself in these nightclubs, he's getting these nightclubs in Vegas and stuff. Yep. because of his name, because of who he is. Yep. But when he gets on stage, he's just like, dude, you got too many yes men around him. He's that bad. Oh wow! And he gets a meeting with P. Did it's real. It's real footage. And the end of it is not really, you know. And I watched this guy go on Jay Leno, and. Just let you know that people are, we're all people, man. When you watch this guy go on Jay Leno, when you watch the interview during this, um, and he's sitting there and Jay Leno's kind of, or not Jay Leno, it was David Letterman, just kind of picking on him a little bit. And this kid's socially, uh, he just, he's fucked up. You could just see, it's a, it's a real one too, man. It's, it makes you almost cry. And you're watching the guy and he's just like, you can just tell he's just beat down, man. And, uh, I don't know. I was just very surprised that this guy would let somebody shoot a documentary of him s sniffing coke off of uh, these strippers' boobs and these prostitutes. He's having sex with a prostitute in the bedroom and all. I mean, just the shit you watch this kid do and you're like, what the fuck? And then... Because uh, it's art to him, I yeah. think. So I get done with it. I get done watching it and I'm kind of like, okay, the ending was kind of bland. And then I went back on... I went and looked him up trying to show my wife who he was. And I see he's the Joker. Yeah. The Joker. And he made $20 million, and I watched during the Joker. And this guy had this guy couldn't put, he was about to lose his house. So you didn't know who Joaquin Phoenix was before that? I didn't know he was the Joker. Oh, I didn't okay. put two and two together. Okay, okay. I just see this doc. I know him from We Own the Night. Gotcha. Right? And I know I've seen him in a bunch of other shit, but when I watch that documentary, you just watch a real person here, right? Here's a Hollywood elite, and you just watch this man just, just tumble. And it's from drugs and alcohol. Yeah. Really did that to him. So I can totally relate to this guy. And then when I went to look him up on accident, just trying to show my wife, I see this guy's the Joker. Oh, hang on. This documentary was from 2008. 
this is 2020. And shit, the guy acted again. So he came back. So I go back and I watch his Grammy Award speech and I'm like, fuck, dude, just gave me just the chills, man. And I'm like, this guy got back on his feet, man, again. Yep. And I don't know, man, those underdog stories are for me. So, Elon Musk, of course. Of course, right. I, who doesn't love Elon Musk? You gotta love that guy, man. Just for having the balls that he has. Yeah. That's it. The, so the, um, thank you for that. I want to give you a little bit of uh, positive uh, vibes, okay? Maybe maybe make you feel a little better about this. The Letterman interview yeah. was acting. When he, he did, they did a follow-up. So Joaquin Phoenix and did somebody. Did you see this documentary? I know exactly. Not the documentary, the Letterman interview. Okay. Where he's there and he's kind of like there. Yeah. And he's like, oh, really? The maniacal laughter? Like, oh, okay, that's what we're doing. And, and he's just the whole time he's just like, yeah, that's good. And they ask him a question. He's like, so you, I hear you got, you know, some a new movie coming out or this or that and a third. And he's like, yeah, I do. Okay. And then Letterman keeps making jokes about how you're not making this easy for me here. Uh, you know, hopefully I'll have a show when we're done with it. That one, I know exactly what you're talking about. The whole time you're like, wow, this is cringy, fucking awkward. The guy's out there. You can tell he's socially awkward. He's kind of slumped. He's looking over his shoulder. He's, you can tell he just doesn't want to be there. He's a... That's how phenomenal of an actor he is, Rob. How did you see that that was acting? Because if because you watch they that did a follow up, up to it, everything looks the same. Yes, it's because afterwards they talk about. So him and another artist were doing a were doing their own uh, documentary or movie. Uh, it was a documentary movie. I don't remember. If you watch the Letterman interview and then watch the follow-up interview to it, during that interview, he was doing um, a movie, and it was him and his buddy were producing it. I forget the other actor, uh, but they were doing the art their way. They were doing the film their way, and the that Letterman interview, I can't remember what the reason was for it. I believe it was because they were he was he was building that character. I think, if I remember correctly, and you were supposed to be experiencing that character and the awkwardness of him or whatever it was. I don't want to take it out of context, but I remember Rob. I watched the same thing. I got tears in my eyes watching it because you're absolutely right. It was so awkward to watch. It was so cringeworthy, and you you sat there to yourself and you're like, "Fucking Letterman, you're a piece of shit." Like. Lay off this guy. Take it easy on him. He's obviously having a hard time. You're doing nothing but making fun of him. And he made fun of his music career during that, too. You remember? He's like, yeah, I had a short sabbatical where I tried some music. He's like, yeah, that was that was killer stuff, wasn't like, it? I'll come on and do something for you. Yeah, that yeah. won't happen. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So they did a follow-up interview. And Letterman, and Letterman starts to talk to him. He's like, well, you know, we had that interview, and, you know, it didn't go so well. And, and so here's the thing. Letterman didn't know he was acting. Joaquin Phoenix was acting. He was playing a character. Letterman didn't pick up on it. So that whole interview and the whole fuckery of it was real to David Letterman. And I think, honestly, that Joaquin Phoenix was fucking with Hollywood. He was fucking with Letterman. He was fucking with the audience. He was fucking with Hollywood. Because when he comes back to do the follow-up interview, Joaquin Phoenix is like, yeah, man, like, you know, I knew I was good, but I didn't know I was that good. Like... I was hoping at some point you would pick up on the fact that I'm an actor and this is what I do for it. And they laugh and they joke and they hug and whatever. They talk about the chewing gum under the table and all that shit. Yeah. So that inspired me even further because I thought to myself, he had me fooled. He had David Letterman fooled. He had you fooled. He had every, literally there was nobody believed that that was acting until he actually came back on the show and did a follow-up and said that he was in character. Isn't that amazing? You're a racist. <laughs> You're a racist. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck.
fucking racist. <laughs> because I brought you the truth and upset you at the right. same time. <laughs> I don't care. It doesn't matter. Isn't that what it feels like, though? Oh, yeah. my God. It's hilarious. Um, yeah. So I, I almost didn't want to say that to you. It's like you took my fucking balloon. You ever <laughs> see that balloon that you pump, poke the air? <laughs> Fucking dude, that's me, man. Because listen, I, I I've been talking about that for two weeks, selling that to everybody. But you know, but it's real though, Rob. That's the thing. You can't you can't take that away from that. Okay, you can't take that away from that. And I was just as embarrassed when I watched the follow up because I'm like, because when I watched that, I was like, I'd seen Joaquin Phoenix before, and I'm like, this guy, like, this guy's not an asshole. He's a nice guy, and he's like. And so what I believed in that moment was that he had just had it with Hollywood. He was just done. He was jaded. He was so pissed off at the mainstream and the silver screen that he was just like, he was just going to sit there and make a fool of everybody. Like you booked Joaquin Phoenix. I'm that, you know, that billboard actor, that A-lister. You're ready for my charisma. You're ready for my talk. You're ready for my banter so we can sell it to everybody. And I'm not going to give it to you. I'm just going to sit here with my black jacket on, my sunglasses on, and I'm just going to tell you to go fuck yourself. So. I drew a lot of inspiration from that. I'm sorry to sorry to burst your bubble. Let's move on. But um, so okay, so Joaquin Phoenix. Anybody else th- that you want to speak on? I don't really think so. I mean, uh... in business, anybody? You know, guys always say Bezos, Steve Jobs, all that stuff. Oh. I mean, they're all great. Warren Buffett, all that stuff. Of course. I mean, they just they're, they're there. They're M- there. Mine's Grant Cardone. You know, I, I, Grant Cardone's a very um, controversial figure because a lot of people think he's full of shit, and he is. He's full of a lot of shit, right? Uh, but the reason I like Grant Cardone is because he was a drug addict that chose to make a major change. Uh, when he was in rehab, he was told that you're, you're, you know, you need to focus on spending each day of your life not doing drugs. You're not going to be a famous author. You're not going to be a famous businessman. You're not going to own millions of dollars of real estate. Like, get that out of your head. Focus on each day of your life going without drugs, and that'll be success. And in his goofy, you know, Louisiana fucking accent he said man if all i'm gonna do man is just is just uh, um you know spend each day of my life trying not to do drugs man i don't want to live that ain't no type of existence and you know i have to agree with that and i love that he's so you know he pays homage to the people that helped him get off drugs but like he left that like that day he left that behind it was over that day he was done with drugs he moved on but here we are you know that was when he was 25 he's i think 60 something now so 40 years later, right. he still speaks on it as a weakness of his that he had to overcome. And that, to me, just a level of humility. Not to mention he owns a couple billion dollars worth of real estate, a Gulfstream, two helicopters. You know, he's got his Cardone Enterprises is just really cool. It's honestly something that I'd like to do eventually one day, manage a team of salespeople, train them, sell product. You know, just it's it's I get a high off of selling. And, yeah. and I, th- uh, I think locally, locally, you'd be like an Adam Weitzman. No, you watch for me. I watch him. You know, you know his story. You know, he, you know where he comes yep. from. But, and you watch him giving back, and you could—I I don't know—you could just tell it's from the heart, man. And the guy's yeah. just, you know, and he just—he there's a person right there that doesn't forget where he came from, and it's like, uh, you know, what what a cool story, man. That's yeah. one of those people that I'm like, you know. So when you talk about when you achieve a certain level of success, it's. Uh, you know, all of a sudden your bar gets raised. Yes. You keep raising the bar. Yep. And all of a sudden you start looking to those people that got it way better than you. Yep. And you don't feel like you made it because you still want to get there. 100%. You know, and you go, they made it. And he probably has people that he looks above. 100%. And thinks the same thing. Well, how else do you stay motivated? Cardone, the guy that I just talked about, he's, you know, got $2 billion And he talks about, oh, man, the real winners, like Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates. It's like... 
bro, you got a jet, two helicopters, you own half a fucking county worth of real estate. Like, you know, and that's how I think people like us are built, Rob. I think the, the passion is in the climb. Right, the, the the win, the victory is in the climb, in the progress. Right, I don't think I've never gotten any enjoyment on standing on my accomplishment and looking down. I've never gotten any enjoyment in going, okay, I opened up store number two, look down and give a bunch of middle fingers and say I did it. It's never been that way for me. It's been, ooh, I got here. All right, let's keep our eyes, you know, out head on a swivel. Let's make sure we don't fuck this up. Yeah. What can we get to from here? Then store number three. It's like. Yeah. Holy fuck, I did three, four, five, and six are going to be just as easy. And, and then it's like, okay, so then what's the next step after the car business? Okay. And then maybe it's real estate. And then after I master real estate, then what is it from there? And can I run two things, you know, two different verticals, three different verticals at the same time? How many facets can I, can my diamond be? How many streams of income can my wealth be? And that's the addict, right? Not to go back to the addict thing, but I think, I'm, you said that it was one of your biggest strengths, being an addict, mm-hmm. even though it was one of your downfalls. I couldn't agree with you more. I would not cha- You know, I've been through hell, man. And, and <laughs> there's, I could get real emotional right now and talk about some things that I've been through, some very lonely times, some very deadly times, um, some times that I was, I was right on the verge of ending it, honestly, mm-hmm. okay? Um, but just something burned inside me and said that, you know, it was probably narcissism. Thank God for it. You know, <laughs> I'm too important to kill myself. The world needs me, even though I was robbing people and doing drugs, you know what I mean? But something in me was just to the doldrums, man. There was just nothing ahead. There was just nothing more for me. And I couldn't tell you how many times that the thought crossed my mind that, you know, I really don't, I won't be missed. I'm just gonna, just gonna end it. But I, I chose to, push just a few more minutes, then a few more hours, then a few more days. And luckily, my subconscious intervened. It, it had me rob a bank, and I got arrested, went to prison, and, and, and off I went. But the the addict in me is the man that is the, the guy on a mission, right? Um, when I was using drugs, it was how high can I get? Now that I'm in business, nothing has changed. It's how high can I get, right? The passion is in the climb. The, the, the victory is in the progress. If I'm not being productive, if I'm not moving forward, I'm the kind of guy that has a hard time sleeping at night because if, if I don't, you know, you know who I heard, who I, I kind of have mixed feelings about, but I respect is Andrew Tate. Okay. Do you know who Andrew Tate is? Okay. And then just, just so you know, Andrew Tate, if you're listening, you're not as fucking important as you think you are. Cause there's guys like him that are millionaires. I don't know who the fuck you are. And I didn't know who the fuck you were a month ago until I saw your social media. So you ain't that big of a fucking deal. Okay. But guys, guys, a very big popular presence on social media amongst the younger crowds. Yeah. He's, he believes that the, you know, that an alpha male is a strong presence that uh, you need men, that women have a subservient role in the house. I don't agree with everything that he says, um, but I believe the principles of where his ideas come from are rooted in logic and in tradition. So I don't think he's out trying to hurt anybody. I think he believes everything that he says, and everything that he says, he has a logical 
progression where he can put it back together. He's taken somebody like Piers Morgan in an interview and and taken words from him because, you know, to where he's speechless because he doesn't have a rebuttal. So um, he obviously ha- has a good point to make. They were asking him how often he sleeps. You know, you talk to a successful guy, one of the, the static questions is always, you know, how much do you sleep at night? Are you the kind of guy that goes to bed at midnight and wakes up at five? How many hours of sleep do you get? When do you go to bed? When do you wake up? Blah, 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 blah. Tate said, I go to bed when I'm tired. If I'm not tired and it's one o'clock in the morning and I can get more accomplished and I can do more with my day, I do it and I go to bed. But I wake up at the same time every day. And if I went to bed at 1.30 because I had good ideas and I wasn't tired and I stayed up late and I get up at six o'clock in the morning and I'm tired, what's the biggest downfall? I got to go through a day kind of tired because I got a lot accomplished the night before. I just go to bed a little bit earlier that time or I go to bed a little bit earlier that evening and then it all levels out. And I kind of agree with him, right? I am productive until the moment I go to sleep. I Every night, usually, um, when I say usually, I don't mean work out. I work out every night, but I usually work out between the hours of 11 um, to 12.30 or 11.30 to 1 in the morning, okay? Do you really? I do. Yes, sir. It's a point of fact. You can see my Facebook posts where I've got timestamps on them. I've seen it before. <laughs> I'm really up that late. Um, and it's because I'm able to be mentally productive until about midnight. Then, then something in me goes my brain's off. I'm tired. Um, but then I drink a pre-workout drink, gives me a burst of caffeine and it's not necessarily energy because most people don't know this, but caffeine doesn't give you energy. It just changes the way your body feels fatigue. It eliminates the ability to feel the fatigue. So you don't necessarily explain this to me. Yeah. Yep. It does. It does elevate the heart rate. So there is, you know, the burst of energy is just elevated heart rate combined with loss of the feeling of fatigue. So you weren't given energy. You were subtracted the tired feeling, okay? I think I saw this online. Somebody was saying something recently on Facebook about if you if you don't drink coffee, if you just let it ride for about an hour, hour and a half after you wake up and don't go right for that cup of coffee, your body produces so much of this natural chemical. And what will happen if you won't have the crash at 3 o'clock is what I'm referencing. Okay. But it was something along the lines. Look that up. So you don't have the coffee or you, you just have it later? That, that morning crash. They said, listen, if you drink Monsters. Do yourself a favor. Wait about an hour and a half. Let your body naturally produce this particular chemical. Okay. And then what happens is, is when you do drink it at 1030, okay. you won't have that three three o'clock crash. Okay. So it's totally different that, thing. I thought you no, told me that, that I, I like that. makes sense because, uh, and I'm glad to hear that, because when I wake up in the morning, my wife always comes to me and she's like, you know, do you want Monster or coffee? And I always tell her, not right now. You know, Unless, like, I'm chilly and I want a warm cup of coffee or I'm really dragging ass and I'm having a hard time moving. But I always tell her to just have a cold Monster ready for me. Um, when I get in my truck, which is usually 45 minutes after I get up. Lucky motherfucker. <laughs> really? <laughs> what? Yeah, I why? can't get mine out of bed. Oh, no? She did not in the beginning. Yeah. Fuck, dude, eggs and, I mean, whatever you wanted. Yeah. yeah. The honeymoon phase? Yeah, yeah. That, that died out. Now it's you cool. give her a kiss on the messed up hair on the warm forehead and walk out the door. I don't even do that. That's probably why. <laughs> yeah, my wife, uh, she gets up to get my stepson ready for school. So she's uh, she's already up, ready, taking him to school and back, bringing me a, a drink while I'm That's in the cool, shower. Man. Cool. It, it's all, I got a wonderful girl, man. I I I don't know what the fuck I did to get her. Yeah, that that's listen. I same same with you. I got to put like a lot of my. I don't know, man. I my wife is definitely the first woman I've been with. I always mm. went for. I always went after girls. Girls. I, I went for that dog with the broken leg. Yes. I mean dog. I mean the wrong way. I always went for that that one that I could impress. 
that one I could take on vacations yeah. I'd never been. I, I always went for that for that girl that had that, you know, never had anything. The wounded girl. I, the wounded ones, right? The, the ones, ones with the sometimes daddy, the issues. daddy issues and things like that, right? Because <laughs> Those are the fun ones. Because I, I need to manipulate. Yep. Right? Yeah, man. So those are the ones I can manipulate. So big of you to be able to admit that. And yeah. I've admitted the same thing. And it's just it's just who we are as manipulate, addicts. Manipulate, man. Yeah. I'm a professional manipulator. Professional manipulator. So, you know, my wife, you know, it's funny. I got in an argument with her. We talk about, you know, keeping it real, right? So... You know, me, I got a lot of, you know, I got a lot of family members that, you know, I don't have a relationship with because over money. And, you know, there's times for me, I take care of my mom. I take care of my wife's parents. I take care of uh, everybody. I take care of my sister, although she would never tell you that, that I do. She don't pay me rent. She lives in a house of mine, so I take care of her. Um, a lot of people eat off me, and I'm good with that. But the thing is, for me, is I don't, maybe I don't do enough for myself. And I got in a conversation with my wife, and I'm just like, and I, I don't want to forget where I was going with this, but we talk about you wanting to fucking off yourself, right? And I'm never there, right? I'm more, I'm more, I believe in God. Mm-hmm. So for me, uh, you know, I, I got to go to heaven. Right. Okay. It ain't happening. Okay. Um, but by the same token, you know, I, I sit there in my kitchen crying with my wife. And I'm like, you know, I fucking, I, I, I would never do it, Nina. So don't, don't think, don't think this. But I, lately, I wish I wasn't here. Mm-hmm. I won't ever do anything about it, but I truly, I'm like, I feel like I'm the only person that doesn't give a fuck about money. Yeah. I'm the only, everyone else is after, I mean, clawing at me for money. And I, it's always <laughs> something, people stealing from me, embezzling money from me, doing this and all that. I'm the only fucking guy. I said, I don't have a boat, a heart, I got nothing. Maybe I need to go buy some big fucking mansion. I don't know. But you do. I, the thing is, is this, I don't, it's just how I'm wired. Right. But I said to my wife, I'm like, you know, so I, I don't know where I was going with this, but I'm like, you know, so oh, this is good. All shit, that man. glitters is not gold, right? right? So right. we look at we look from the outside and everything looks good and all this other stuff. You can go to you know my websites and all that, and it's gonna yep. look fucking like like at the world by the balls, right? In some respects, I do. But there's also a lot of baggage that comes with this. Yeah, man. And it's not it takes it takes takes away a lot of it. But to the wife thing, you know, my wife was uh, my wife's my rock, you know, and. She helps me. She has a wisdom. Um, she understands people. She understands the human mind. She understands my insecurities. She understands, you know, and keep my, my wife, I've been married almost six years. Up until a year ago, I wouldn't take my shirt off in front of her. For real. Really? Yeah. No shit. I would take my shirt off in front of my own wife for a year. Close the closet door and do all that because I'm not as in shape as I want to be and I don't want her to see that. Okay. When I'm laying in bed and I got that flat stomach all day long. Yeah. Right? But. My wife didn't see me in my shirt off till about a year ago. No shit. Isn't that crazy? It is. So it's a talk crazy. About, talk about insecurities, right? We still have that shit. Yeah. But you know what, Rob? That's that's why you're so strong. Like, you're saying these these insecurities, these weaknesses of character and stuff like that, but I look at it exactly the, the opposite of that. The fact that you can sit here and talk about it, the fact that you identify with it, the fact that you know why you're that way, that, that are, those are strengths of character, right? So th- this is what I try to tell people. The people sitting out there in audience land that are listening to this, and they're going, do you fucking believe that guy dude went six years without taking his shirt off in front of his old lady? What the fuck, man? He's fucked up. No. No, 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 no. Because you beating off in the closet to porno that's fucking weird that you'd be ashamed if people knew you were beating off to or you that has, you know, uh, that it's actually, you know, homosexual, which there's nothing wrong with that, but you're not willing to admit it. You know what I mean? The the guy that hasn't come out of the closet or the person who is um, 
that is studying to be a dental hygienist because that's what their whole family does and wants them to do. But all they want to do is go train horses, but lies about it and still goes to SU and takes the, those are the people who think they're strong because they're able to keep it locked away and not talk about it and keep on their game face. Those are the weakest motherfuckers that are out there. The guy that can sit here and talk about the fact that he doesn't want to show his stomach to his wife for five or six years and he kept his shirt on for the first five or six years of his marriage, that's the strong guy. The guy that can put it out in a public forum and say, listen, this is what's fucked up about me. This is why it's fucked up. And just recently, I've been able to overcome it. And you know why you were able to overcome it? Because you knew that was a malfunction of character. You did the appropriate work necessary to fix it. And you just came to fucking terms with it. And you said, you know what? This is what it is. I got to fix this. If not for me, for my wife. And you moved past it. So as people sit here and they observe this conversation, there's some things that they need to draw out of this if they want to become more successful and they want to move forward with their life. And there are things like we just stated. The fact that you have things that are that are wrong with you or wrong by societal standards or things that may not fit the normal status quo, but you identify them, you know why they are that way, and you are actively working to fix them, right? Number one. Number two, you eat last. You said that, right? You always make sure that the people around you are taken care of before you take care of yourself. That's a character of a great leader. On my desk downstairs, there's a fortune that came out of a fortune cookie, and I taped it to my desk, and it says, if you continually give, you will continually have. Nothing in my life has proven to be more true. A good moral compass and making sure when you have excess that you share with people there's nothing that you can do, in, in my opinion, in this world more to ensure your success, okay? That's like being the guy that throws a pebble in the pond and expects that the, the ripples aren't going to make it to the edge of the pond. They're going to get there eventually, no matter what. The bigger the stone you throw, the more the ripples. The littler stone you throw, it might only be little ripples, but they're still going to get there. Your actions have, have uh, consequences, you know? To every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. I truly believe that. I don't believe it's one reaction. Sometimes it's three smaller ones. But whatever you put there comes back to you, sometimes in, in exponential value. So if you're always selfish, if you're always looking out for number one first, yeah, you're going to eat well. You're going to have a nice car. You're going to have all these things. But it's like these people that I see on Instagram, right, and all these these local guys that I know that are friends on, their face, on my Facebook feed. You know, they got a Cummins a Duramax, it's a dually, it's badass. They got a snowmobile in the back of it. Um, you know, they got a double wide that they just bought on a few acres. They got a couple nice guns, deers hanging in the trophy case and, uh, you know, a jet ski and, and they went on a couple vacations this year and they're bragging about it. I mean, talking like they are fucking king dipshit dingaling, bragging about all this shit that they got. I'm sitting back here thinking, I have 10 times that. I would be ashamed to put my things out there and act like I had the world by the balls. Because until until I've got my own plane, until if I until I can get in a jet and fly to LA to do a business deal because there's an opportunity there on my own schedule, I don't believe I'm successful, okay? To the standard that I want to be, right? Until I can text the president of the United States and say, "Hey, listen, Mr. President, I was wondering if you could help with this or if I could come speak on this or whatever until I'm connected with the most important people in the world until I have a financial freedom that rivals the people at the top of the absolute food chain I'm not going to brag about it and you know what Rob when I get there when, notice I say when and not if when I get there I don't plan on bragging about it then okay because 
I think you can always get better, right? There's nothing wrong, and don't don't mistake me, people. There's nothing wrong with being proud of what you have, okay? Excuse me. I'm not talking about the people that post a picture of their house. Ooh, Sally and I just closed on this with a Century 21 sign in the front yard with the rear realtor holding the keys, take, taking the picture. Excuse me. They should be proud of that. That's an accomplishment, right? I'm talking about the guy that's leaning on his Audi with his chain, with his belt buckle showing, with his girl next to him, and his pit bull that he's holding with a chain. It's like, good. What is that, 80 grand? Great. The funniest thing is when you see guy. you know, there's a couple people I have in my feed. They have uh, $200,000 worth of cars in their driveway parked in front of an $80,000 house. Yeah, love that, right? And it's like, uh, I so badly want to be like, to, okay, enjoy those depreciating assets. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like... So yeah, short. and no pictures of their kids. So short-sighted, man. Yep. And I'm the same. It's probably been, you know, for me, I'm I'm that. I talk people out of car deals, man. I don't know if it's because I gotten too comfortable. I don't know what it is. But you got to be shitting me, man. You're really fucking with me this episode. I, swear my I just got done talking to a couple of my guys, and I said, guys, and, and they they said to me, they're like, boss, you know, sometimes you talk us out of sales. You'll be with a customer, and you'll say something to them like, Mister Jones, I just don't think you should do business with us, or I don't think you should buy that car. Please go forward. I'm sorry. It's more it's, for me. It's like it's you know I have a, I have a good following of people that are you know good names in the, in the community. Yep. From yep. when I worked for Caprera that followed me on my own, and for me I'm just I'm point blank. I, you know I got a neighbor Gina, my mom's neighbor now. Um, you know she texts me, hey, you know I got a text, I got an email from one of your salespeople. You know I I got my Jeep. Do you think it's time to trade? It's not time to trade. Right. And I'll tell you, sit on your hands right now because, yep. you, you know, I'm dealing with uh, Dave Smith. Dave Smith's a pretty big name. He's own a huge business here, um, Syracuse Securities. And uh, he does business with me. And, you know, right now, you know, he wants an Armada. But he has a 2019 Armada with 40,000 miles, SV, not super loaded, things worth low 30s. I don't give a shit if you put 5,000 more miles on it. It's going to be worth low 30s. Right. But it's 15 grand to trade up two years. Too much. Right. So I put him on ice, but that guy for life, he's mine. Right. Because you know, it's for me, it's not, I don't, it's not about the car deal, man. It's not about that. It's about relationships for me. 100%. It's about, it's about being the opposite of what people expect me to be. Yeah. That's the gratification when I can, when I can wow people with like, holy fuck, man, he's not, you know, he, I don't know. That's for me, man. And that's the success. And, and, you know, I had this in my mind. I wanted to drop this earlier. It's just totally off key too, but nah, hit me, man. I always felt only recently, you know, with the change, you know, with getting a lot of people, uh, the new age, the younger generation, they appreciate their time more than they appreciate the money. You know, and, and for me, I'm, I'm the guy that I'll work eight days a week. If you can create another day, Yep. you know, for 10 grand more a year, I don't give a shit. Right. I, I just want the 10 grand. Yeah. I'll do whatever it takes to get the max amount of money. Even if the ROI is not there in the light, more people nowadays respect their time and I'm starting to respect my own time. I've never valued my time. Okay. I've ne never been about money, but my all my time has been my work. It's been about me. Mm -hmm. And until I have an eight-year-old daughter, I have a wife that I love. I have family, you know, my in-laws that I love and love to travel and spend time with them too. And uh, I've only recently started to really respect my own time and appreciate my time off. And as people, that has helped me to really understand that. I always felt that people... You'd have people that, that would sit in a conversation with me, say, yeah, I don't want, I wouldn't want what you, I wouldn't want what you have. In the back of my mind, I'm going, yeah, bullshit. 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 You don't want what I have. You just, you just don't have the ability to get there. Right. And only until, and I don't think that way anymore. For me, I'm like, there's really people out there that, let me give you the example. I'd love to have your body. Fucking love to have that. Who wouldn't, right? 
but I'm not willing to do the work that it takes to get that. Mm-hmm. It's not worth it to me, for me. Right. If I could snap my fingers or I could buy that from you, yep. I'm fucking writing you a check tonight. Yep. But am I willing to be in the gym till 1 o'clock in the morning like you? Am I willing to put those things in? I'm not willing to do that. It's not. And I always felt that people that didn't have, you know, I always felt that they're full of shit. And I really, really do believe that ever we, you know, people want what they want. Some people really do value their time and they don't give a fuck about the money and this, you know. I'm, That's the truth. How many people do you, do you know, how many miserable millionaires do you know? I know a bunch. I know, I know millionaires that probably would have been better served to take more time for themselves and them fam- their family. When you see people come into our car dealerships that make, and a family, make $30,000, $40,000, and you watch their demeanor and you watch how happy they are. Happier than pigs start and to, shit. Start to, over the last few years, start to really go, fuck, man, okay. Maybe maybe I was wrong about that. Mm-hmm. Some people truly, you know, happiness is found in so many different ways, man. Right. It's not about fucking money. It's not about, it's not. And, you know, so for me, my biggest thing is, is, how much do you need? When I was in AA and I was involved and a sponsor really helped me through my life in my 20s, you know, I was making great money and all I wanted to do was work nonstop. And he kept saying to me, he's like, Rob, listen, this is a replacement drug for you. Yep. He goes, sooner or later, that pleasure system needs to get rocked as an addict. Yep. I need to rock that pleasure system. He goes, now you don't have the drugs. Now you're in the car dealerships. You're selling four or five fucking cars a day. Yep. Bam, bam, rocking that pleasure system. He goes, sooner or later, if you don't take care of the problem fundamentally, that pleasure system is not going to get rocked on a five-car day. Right. You're going to need seven cars to give you what five used to. Yep. And when we get to that point where it doesn't do it for you anymore, where do you have to turn? What are you going to do? You're playing with fire. Right. Playing Russian roulette right now. Yep. And it, uh, I dealt with that when I went to, uh, I was with my daughter's mother, and I'm selling 70-plus cars a month. And I go to work, and I'd have a you know a five, six-car day. And then I go to work the next day, and if I if I blanked out or I sold even one car, I was getting to the point where I, I would go home and drive home, no radio on, stuck in my head. I walk in the door. I got a, I got a six-month, seven-month-old daughter, eight-month, whatever it was. She's just starting to walk, running up to me at the door. Get her. Get her. And uh, I, I wouldn't say a word to fucking nobody. Leave me the fuck alone. I'd walk upstairs. I'd throw my clothes off. I'd hop in bed, 6.30 at night, 7 o'clock at night, and I'd go to sleep till the next morning, depressed. And then I woke up, you know, and I went to the doctor, and I'm like, listen, I deal with, it's either here or it's here. There's no, I don't have this. Mm -hmm. Okay, I'm good with that. But it's either the end of the world. And when I I say, when I sell, I sell one car. If I had a one-car day, I won't spend a dollar. I won't go out to dinner. I still, I'm to like that to this day. Okay. Uh, I claim right up. I won't, I won't spend a dollar. All of a sudden, it's the end of the world. I'm, my run is over. I've had all these lucky years. This yep. is really not, it really wasn't, it was just lucky. Right. I just, right place, right time, every, that many times. And I, I, I fucking ignore the world. But then when I had a five, six car day, I'm, we're going out to dinner, fucking kumbaya. We're doing it, you know, and just, and I dealt with that. And I take a medication for that. You know, I take a very light antidepressant. I've taken it for seven, eight years. Okay. And it really helped me to level out. And not be, I don't know what the fuck I'm getting on on that. It's totally irrelevant. No, it's re- it is relevant but because you're showing people that this shit is real, man. That even the real. baddest of the motherfuckers deal with this stuff, 100. Yeah. percent And it's so game changer. You know, it's funny. I have a manager that works for me. I've worked around this guy for 15, 20 years. I used to manage him at Sam Del Dodge when we were when he when I was fucking 21, 22 years old. And so we've been in the same circle for 25 years almost, and. 
me being open, I'm very open in my meetings. Yeah. You know, I sit there and I'll tell my sales staff about exactly what I'm talking about now. Yep. Yep. Guys, I want you guys to understand something. You know, I went through this and this, and something will bring that up. I inspired the, now this is a guy that left miserable motherfucker. Okay. Very yeah. talented, miserable as fuck. I noticed a change in the guy. I noticed a change in the guy. Maybe a year after that conversation, I'm up to him. I'm like, bro, you're much more calm than you used to be. Ever notice that? And he's yeah. like, can I be honest with you, man? He's like, you inspired me a year ago. You had that conversation. You were telling me about the antidepressant that you take. He's like, so, you know, me, I'm an anti-medication guy. He's like, but I just, I, I saw it. If it could fucking change your life like that. I went and made a doctor's appointment. I was like this, walking into the doctor's appointment. They put me on something. He's like, and my whole life changed. Wow. He's like, my fucking whole life, I'm a happy person. I have good relationships. You know, I've never been able to hold a relationship fucking six months. I'm a fucking asshole. He goes, and, you know, I, I have a different love for my, for my wife and my daughter. And my, you know, he's just like, I'm a changed person, and he is. So now do you understand the type of effect that you have on people? That's sure. something that I've struggled with recently because as I continue to grow, as I continue to build this brand, as I continue to do more advertising, more social media, become relevant in society, um, I... I have trouble realizing how much of an effect I have on people. How many people look up to me? How many? We, Scott and I were were watching a uh, a football game. You said we got five minutes. Okay, Scott and I were watching our our, our batteries are about to run out. So um, our um, we were watching a football game. Guy sends me a message. He, he he gave me shit on a social media post. Essentially said that uh, you know, Big Luke, you you got all this money. You should help people. And then he DM'd me, DM'd me, DM'd me. So finally, I was like, dude, you, it says you're a linesman at National Grid. What could you possibly need? Certainly not money. You make 100 grand a year. Oh, yeah, I overspent a bunch of money. And I'm like, how's that my fucking problem, bro? Like, we're both gainfully employed. I didn't overspend. You overspent. And I owe you money. Like, how can I wrap my head around this? And on the kid's webpage, he was trying to raise money for St. Jude's for his birthday, which was just a virtue signal. And when he fucked with me on the Facebook post, I said, oh, by the way, I donated the $200 you're trying to raise for St. Jude's. So no problem. You know, I have no problem helping you out. I'm not a bad guy like you think. I said, I don't know what's got you so angry making comments. about you made comments about my teeth and my lips and everything else. I got fucked up lips from an injury as a kid. I said, but, you're, you know, I, I hope you find happiness. There's the 200 bucks you hope to, to raise for St. Jude's and, you know, move on. Did you? Yeah, I did. And you know what this fucking kid, he DM'd me and he says, you know, you got all this money. You should be helping real people like me. And I'm thinking to myself, I just donated to St. Jude's on your behalf. So I said, you know what I'll do? I'll cancel the payment to St. Jude's. I'll put a stop payment on that. And how would I just take that money we were going to give to the sick kids and I'll Venmo it to you? Would that make me a good person? He says, oh, you'd really do that, man? That's awesome. And sends me his Venmo tag. Come back. No shit. And but the the thing I drew from that is, I don't know this guy from anywhere. Never met him before in my life. But he feels appropriate DMing me, talking shit to me because he sees me as a public figure. And we get this shit all the time. We get people we run into and we talk to them. Me and my wife and they're, oh yeah, you and your kids and this and that and the TV shows and the you know the Facebook ad, because they feel like since we're in the public eye that they somehow know us or have a likeness with us. And it's just. It can be scary sometimes, but it can be rewarding in moments like you just said, okay? Um, and I want you to know, if you if you haven't realized it already, because I'm coming to grips with it recently, you know, we have a major impact on people, man. Like, when, when as, as bosses, if nothing more. Yeah. I've had my employees come to me. Um, I had a cleanup kid come to me and tell me that he was now opening up more in therapy, you know, um, similar to what you're talking on. And 
we do. We have a tremendous impact on people, and you should be proud of that because considering where you're coming, where you've come from, and where you're at now, and, and the past that you've had, and and what you've been through, to now be the guy that inspired you, changed somebody's life. Okay, the days where it was the worst of the worst, and you didn't want to go on anymore. And sometimes I wish I wasn't here. Remember that, Rob. There's a reason you're here. Mm-hmm. If for nothing more than you that. saved that guy's fucking life, yep. right? So we're running out of time. Um, the producers are waving the giant red flag and neon lights at us that we're fucking talking too much. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to just touch on something real quick before you left, okay? Um, I want to know what you think the biggest mistake you've made so far in your life is. Not to take it to a negative place, but these are two questions I want to hit before we go. And you got to answer quick. This is like the lightning round. Tell these people what's the biggest mistake you made in your life and, how, and what they should avoid. It's going to sound fucking stupid. No, I mean, man, hit me. This is real. Straight up. This is real. I, I, every single thing that I've gone through in my life had to happen exactly the way it happened for me to end up where I am today. Fucking it. Every brother. single detail, okay? If I'd, have, if I'd have went through that red light 30 seconds later, I would have got T-boned. That kind of a thing. Right? Yep, absolutely. Every single thing had to happen for me to get to where I am at. I talked to my mother about this. She deals with depression, you know, and I talked to her about it. I'm like, Mom, everything you're going through is part of the design. Right. Okay, you have to trust that. There's no question in my mind that if you do the right thing and put the next foot forward, that you will find yourself in a position, I don't know where, down the road, that you'll look back and understand yep. that all those things had to happen, even the bad things. Even the bad things. So which lets me take when a person embezzles from me, it lets me sit back. Now, granted, I got my money back from the credit card company. If I did, it might be a different story. <laughs> but when that happens, I know that here's what happens. I don't know. I don't want to get long-winded, but I learn from those things. And when you can when you can take the negatives and pull positive out of that, what a fucking blessing. Or how about this? I survived that and I still got better. That means I can take an even heavier hit and still push past it. That's where that's that's what somebody like me gets from what you just said. Okay, you know, it was this type of issue, got past it. This type of issue. Somebody took fucking 70 grand from me, moved past that, kept going. It just goes to show you that you can be bulletproof. You can be your own bullet version of bulletproof and invincible as a businessman because you're able to handle that adversity, okay? So thank you for your answer. Last thing I want to do, uh, touch on real quick before we leave. Where do you want to be in 10 years? Where? What are you after, Rob? You're growing this business. You're making this money. You're making millions. You're managing hundreds of employees. You're, what, you, you may expand. You may go to other cities. Whatever you may do, but what's the end game? Everybody out there on that camera wants to know, why is he doing what's he, what he's doing? And what's the end game? What's he after? When's it enough? Where is he going? In my mind, i got about seven years left, boots on the ground. Um, I have a store right now that I'm working on in Florida uh, on a commitment. I have a general manager that... Uh, flies home to three little girls in Florida and spends one week at home and three weeks with me. He's made that commitment to me uh, to build store number two, my candy car store, uh, with the promise on my word, which also is very honoring, big honor that somebody trusts me like that, uh, that he'll go partners on another store. And I have that commitment to fulfill. So I'm going to fulfill that commitment. I'm going to create a design uh, within the stores that I currently have with managers that I have and uh, make have managing partnerships and I'm going to give these people an opportunity to carry the torch and run the business. I, I don't believe that it'll run to the same level of intensity that will with me there. And I'm okay with that. Uh, but I want to give people that have busted their ass for me and given me their blood, sweat and tears. I want to give them an opportunity to have some of the success that I have, uh, financially. And, 
you know, in return, I'm looking for them to take the, take the load off of my shoulders so that I can sail into the wind. I have somebody that once taught me, you know, how much is enough. Um, you know, and for me, you know, Luke, you got a lot of years on me and you're very, you're, you, your mind thinks like I did 10 years ago. Right now, I just want to enjoy my life. You know, in my mind, I'm not going to be living to old age. There's a lot of dementia in my family. There's things like that. Um, I've, I've done a lot of damage to myself throughout my younger years. So for me, I don't want to be that 60. I don't want to try to, I, I, I don't, you know, for me, I want to retire in my early 50s, which is not too far away. Yep. Give people an opportunity and, uh, and have passive income and, and live. I got, a number, I got a number in my head that's more than enough to take care of me, my wife, her family, my family, and my daughter for years to come. I'm good with that. That's enough for me. And everybody listening right now knows you're going to get there. I know you're going to get there. I can't wait to see you get there. And I got to tell you, Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you in here. I mean that from the bottom of my motherfucking heart. Everybody out there got something out of this today. There was nothing. There was no rambling, nothing off top. There's nothing that we spoke on today that wasn't necessary. I appreciate every word that you said. I wish you nothing but the best moving forward. I would say good luck, but you don't need it. I'm impressed with what you've accomplished. And again, I appreciate you coming here today. So to you guys out there watching the show, I hope you got something out of this. I know you got at least something, but I, I hope this meant as much to you as it does to me. Thanks so much to this man for coming in today. Um, Bridgeland Auto Brokers, Candy Cars, two, two dealerships that provide excellent customer service and phenomenal inventory. They got nice fucking cars. But um, listen, until the next time, you know, stay with us. We always bring you value. We love you. We appreciate your time, but more importantly, stay free. Thanks, Rob. Thank you.